Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February 24th of 2021 edition of Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, I'll just be I'll just be frank with you. Uh, I, I, I just want to get this done with and see what 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 not to the big show does. On... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, come on. Wrestling thing. <laughs> it's Paul White. Dun, 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 dun. It's and he like goes out. Beat, but like reverse. <laughs> so it's dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the vanilla ice strategy. Can't sue yeah. us for this. Uh, and then he'll come out. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a face. Everyone's gonna love him. Cody Rhodes is gonna come out to ring. He's gonna punch Cody Rhodes in the face. He's gonna turn heel. But he's gonna go backstage and he's gonna sass down like uh, Eddie Kingston or something like that. So he's face yeah. again. It's Big Show can't be one side for very long. I heard an idea with the. I think that it. W- I heard it when I would just you know listen to uh, the Cultaholic news today which was the gimmick idea where he's like two face where like he flips a coin to decide how he acts in any given instance. So he's constantly be being the good and then bad. <laughs> that would be the best. Oh uh, yeah. No, I was like, that's probably for the first like legit thing of like, Oh, someone from the one company went to the other one that I'm like, Oh, that's actually really interesting and unexpected. <laughs> it was weird because I know he disappeared to do the big show show or no. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Big Show show. Sorry. Uh, and that was published, I think, with WWE's like uh, media production company. So that just finished. And then he switched, which mm-hmm. is a very interesting move. And it's nice to see that, especially after the very sad news that Cesaro's contract was up and he decided to stay with WWE because he's like, call me stubborn, but I just feel like I can do it here. And you just sit there and you're like, it'll never happen, but I'm proud of you for sticking to your guns. It's a it's Cesaro. It, it, Vince just doesn't get it, you know. He will never he get you. It's not your fault. He no. doesn't get Shayna Baszler. Yes. He doesn't get Aleister Black. He doesn't get any of you. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't get anyone who's very, very good. You just have to fall into the right demographic that he thinks will make him money. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Be tall, you know. Yeah, you're a tall man, but like be seven feet tall, and then yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, despite the fact. That you are not the most muscular person on the roster. You are probably the strongest. But that still does not mean anything to Vince McMahon. No. It means nothing to him. Anyway. I've gotten all that out of my system for a yes. little bit. Now, Nick, do you know who I'm cosplaying today? No. I have a baseball cap on and a sweatshirt, so I'm cosplaying as a Marvel character who has to go undercover somewhere. <laughs> I could be anybody. <laughs> No one will find me now. You got to awkwardly uh, make out with uh, with your uh, your non romantic best buddy. <laughs> really. Well, if I have to. Okay, I'll make out with you, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah. Really oh, jeez. And you've got to make out with 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 Chris Evans. Oh no. Oh <laughs> no, that's also equally as bad. Uh, we know you really you really want to. They Hulk apparently. <laughs> okay. What's you know what? That's the superhero team? Superhero series. There, transition. There you Boom. go. My hero academia. Okay. It's chapter number three hundred and two, the wrong way to put out a fire part two. With more gasoline. That is that the is wrong the... way to put put out a fire. Yeah, yeah, I would say that that's a bad way to do it. Um I'm trying to think of a way that you could put out uh, fire with gasoline. 
Unless it's a gasoline-powered water (laughs) distributing device, then I don't know what it is. All right. So last time we started to see, you know, things weren't going well in the flashback uh, of the Todoroki family, uh, which I don't know why things were that way. It's I mean, because like, as we know, in the present, things are hunky dory with them. They're not dysfunctional at all. Uh, Toya had gone pretty much. He he pretty much lost it after the birth of Shoto while Endeavor was insisting that he stop trying to be the ultimate superhero. But it's okay, your other your little brother will do it instead, because I'm still doing the bad thing. Um and this was the beginning of Endeavor insisting that they keep Shoto separate from his siblings. Uh and he also says that he's hired help, uh, because he can't work with him twenty four seven. Like he's a little kid, Endeavor. Give him, give him time to do anything else. Seriously, uh, and he turns to Ray to uh, not to basically just keep an eye on Toya while this is going on. And Ray's just like he just wants you to look at him. He wants you to pay attention to him and see what he's doing. And Endeavor's like, all I can show anyone is the world of heroes. And Ray's like, aren't you just running away? And Endeavor goes. As if he's realized <laughs> something, but he hasn't, as we know. <laughs> I mean, there's a darker implication to what he could be doing there. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, cute little detail amongst all this darkness. Uh, when Shoto is uh, sleeping, a little snot bubbles come out of his nose and part of it's frozen and part of it's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So we cut ahead from there to five years later. The other Todoroki siblings are out and they're like, hey, Toya, let's go play. And Shoto is, uh, you know, trapped inside. He's got to go train with his dad. I like, um, I think it was Kurito who had this in our Discord where they posted that picture and just said, uh, like Horikoshi being like, yeah, I absolutely know what kids different ages look like because <laughs> it's you're just like, I don't know if any of those look like how they would <laughs> like Fuyumi looks a lot younger than 12 and Natsu, Natsu looks a lot old bigger old. than eight. Yeah, <laughs> he was a tall boy. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Natsu looks like he's the oldest sibling and, and uh, Toyo looks like the youngest. Yeah, just from the shots we get. at the... <laughs> Oh, well, so. The point is, Shoto's not allowed to play with the other kids, as we knew about beforehand. And there was like, no, we have to drain your output capacity. And then we cut to the kids at night. And <laughs> bizarrely, like, real world relatable to a lot of people in terms of like, you know, my little sibling won't stop talking to me and I just want to have a break from this. Even though it's totally understandable that Toya can't drop this because he's obsessed with it because his dad's an abusive asshole where he's like, Oh, you know, like Shoto didn't do anything wrong and that was my fault. But you know, it's also dad's fault. And you know, why wasn't anyone paying attention to us not to, I mean, come on, what's with this? Why don't they, why do they make kids that they don't need? And that's like, can you like, Talk to Fuyumi about this, and he's like, "Why are you rejecting me too?" Girls won't know. Girls are stupid. Yeah, <laughs> he specifically says the women in this house are good for nothing. It's like, all right, just to remind us, he is the villain. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 my assumption is is that is also meant to be 
an aspect he's probably learned from Endeavor, because Endeavor, I don't think ever considered Fuyumi, even though I know she didn't have really much of an aspect of his quirk, but he never considered her to be trained or anything like that. And he really clearly only sees Ray as a baby making tool. So I assume that's meant to be something he picked up from Endeavor. But yeah, yeah. it's also a way to make us less sympathetic for him. But at the same time, he's 12 at this point. So I assumed that it had to do with the way that Ray has been treating him. But I, I think that that's an interesting way of reading into it. And it definitely seems to ring true about the way that Endeavor has raised his kids, that he would bring them up with the same values that he seems to have about women, as in, well, if I buy this one who's got a compatible quirk with me, then I can make a good kid. So, yeah, I mean, and it's it's also it may not even be specifically something he taught. It just may be what Toya picked it up from, you know, mm-hmm. So we see that uh, Ray is trying to convince Toya to, you know, be a kid. And uh, he's like, no, I don't need friends. We live in different worlds. And Ray questions, do you do you want to be a hero? Because, you know, look, I'm your mom and I'm watching you while all this is happening. It feels like you're suffocating because of the pressure your father's putting on you. And there's all these things that you could be doing you should try looking beyond what he's saying. There's all this other stuff out there and you can find out what you really want to do. And Toya literally says, what the hell do you know, mom? Which the way that the words are emphasized, it's like, wow, this kid is 13, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I don't want to minimize that this kid is psychologically breaking over the course of this flashback. But there are a few moments here and there that are just like, he seems more like a brat than, than like the, the future ultra villain that uh endeavor's got to deal with yeah so. it's that thing of like uh when a 13 year old thinks they're very cool and badass there's the things they say but no one looks at them that same way so it's when we're seeing dad like you know toya dobby's like turn as being like the origin of like i was this edgy 13 year old it's like all right you're kind of conditioning me to think it's <laughs> it's more cute than anything else like oh look at you I think that is something that makes uh, a lot of members of the league interesting is that they are so young. And so they've got that naivete to their angst. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shigaraki had a lot of the same thing. I feel like Dobby has just learned to, you know, speak when it's the dramatically appropriate over time. You know, he's 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 picking he's picked his spots more when he's, uh, you know, 23 as opposed to when he was 13. But uh yeah, if he had talked more, he would have probably come across as just a big a dork as Shigaraki and Spinner. So. Yeah, probably. So, um, so he just gets pissed off from Ray trying to reassure him this way. And he's like, I know about, you know, grandma being really poor and they had to sell you off. So you had no choice in all this. And that's why I was born. You're guilty, too, mom. And uh, yeah, so that uh that didn't go well, and Ray's clearly very taken aback and hurt by this. Uh, he goes out to train by himself some more, and uh, we see that in the winter of his 13th year, uh, Disney Channel movie. Uh, so <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Uh, or was it the 15th year? I forget I forget how old that was supposed to be. He was a merman. Spoilers. So, uh, <laughs> 
He's still uh, going out and training by himself. And he's like, I can do it. I can handle the heat. I'm fine. I can do this. I'm pretty awesome. Dad's going to be so surprised. Oh, I get really worked up and I start crying. And he's like burning himself while he's crying. And we get narration saying that, uh, you know, Toya had always been small, but he had a growth spurt finally at that time. And along with those other physical changes, his fire changed from red to blue. And uh, so we got ahead a little bit further from there. And Toya is telling Endeavor, hey, you should like join me up on Sokoto Peak. I, I got something to show you today. And Endeavor like immediately realizes what's going on. He yanks up uh, Toya's shirt, sees the burns on him, and he realizes that he's been training in such a way that his burns only show up in the places that he can keep covered up. And he's like, what are you doing? And Toya's like, listen, I'm going to I'm going to do it. I, I, I can be as great as Shoto or even better. And and then you'll respect me, Dad. You'll be glad you created me. I know it. And it's like, oh, this is really bad. And Endeavor goes and does the responsible thing, yelling at Ray for letting him get away with this. And apparently it has like hit her because Shoto is really is yelling at him and pissed off that these and she, yes, he's, she's been knocked to the ground. Um, and his other siblings are, you know, just cowering in the corner and Ray can't do anything. And she just thinks I can't stop this. And she says in the present, I couldn't stop him and you didn't go after him. And then Vever says, I thought that I'd only be throwing fuel on his fire. But the tr- but that's not really it. The truth is, I had no idea what to say to him. And Ray admits, neither did I. And we see that when Toya was off in the woods by himself and got really emotional over how things were not working out the way they wanted them to, as hard as he was trying to get his dad to acknowledge him, uh, he lost control of his quirk and set himself and basically the entire force around him on fire, which Dobby in the present immediately takes the impact out of by just going, man, that was hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really hurt. Oh, well, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> and, uh, he thinks to himself while this is happening, that's just desserts. All he, sorry, he actually says that's just deserts. I'm not sure if that's deliberate or if it's a typo there, but he says to himself, all he ever taught me was how to turn up the heat. And uh, Endeavor says, now again, if I'd given it all up that day, but having killed Toya, I felt there was no turning back. So I kept making more bad decisions because of the sunk cost fallacy and um, just completely from there sunk into just training Shoto, neglecting everything else. Uh, And Ray admits that when Toya was gone, Endeavor was got worse and worse. And she says, I started seeing hints of you in the children's faces and I resented that. And even Ray and Natsu are are like, you know, I couldn't interfere because I was too scared. And Natsu says, you know, Dad, you're the cause of all this. But maybe if I just punched you and <laughs> made you have a few serious talks with him, then Dobby wouldn't have happened. I mean, dude, you were 12. It's okay. Like, a 12-year-old shouldn't have to do that. So, But Ray says to Endeavor, you're not the only one who's responsible. And now we all have to take responsibility for what comes next. Your heart may be broken, but we're here to get you back on your feet. You have no choice but to fight Dobby. 
And Endeavor is really taken aback by Ray being, you know, like calling the shots here. Yeah. And that is like, are you really the woman I married? It's like, well, maybe if you'd, you know, like been a better husband, you'd know that this was there, whatever. But Ray says, one of our children who has suffered much more than us, despite having every right to resent me, he started calling me mom again. And he's been making friends at UA. And now he's the one saving us. Shoto is our family's hero. And uh, Shoto speaks as much as, you know, his throat's burned up. And he, and he says, I talked with mom before. I thought this couldn't be your battle to fight and that I was the only one who could do it. But I was wrong. Once you're done grieving, stand back up because we all have to go. Stop Toya. And there's a big emotional reunion behind the closed door as we cut outside to where Hawks and Best Genist are waiting in the hallway. So, I'm two minds about this chapter. Okay, let me hear it. I like a lot of what it's going for, but it definitely doesn't work for me that there's the big split panels of all the members of the family going, and this was why it was partly my fault. And this was why it was partly my fault when 70 plus percent of it was Endeavor's fault. Probably more, probably oh, more. I, I would say it's like 96 percent. Yeah. Of it it's, was it, it, this fault. is almost entirely Endeavor's fault, but I, I actually can empathize a little bit with, the idea of being a kid and seeing something go wrong in your family and feeling like you need to take the blame simply because you just constantly are like, I feel like I fucked up here, even though you didn't, you know, you were a kid, but there's just that part of you. That's just like, ah, maybe if I had done things differently, I could have changed it all. And you're just like, no, it probably wouldn't have, or no one expected you to do that. You were 12 or whatever. Um, the only one who has anything is Ray, but Ray was also a victim in all of this mm-hmm. as well. So I don't really she's she's acknowledging that she had a problem in this, too, and she played a part in it. And that's mm-hmm. fine. I think her acknowledging that the rest of it, I just acknowledge as two kids who didn't know what to do, who were in an awful situation. I don't actually think it is weird the way it's phrased. We all have a blame to take in this because you really shouldn't actually find a reason for Natsu or for Yumi to find it their mm-hmm. fault. It is almost exclusively just Endeavor's fault. I think I would it would I would like this a little bit better if in Ray's little speech you didn't say we all have to take responsibility if mm. if she didn't yeah. make this whole thing. No, we're all to blame. If she had said like if she had just taken more ownership for herself in that because she definitely had more of a role in this than Natsu and, and Fuyumi did. Like, Fuyumi was 12. Natsu was 8. They had no control over the situation that mm-hmm. they were in. Ray had some control over the kids, even though Endeavor was, you know, the head of the household and, and had, you know, dominion over all of them with, you know, financial control and being the number two hero and being super powerful and all this stuff. She was put charged basically with looking after the non Shoto kids. So she did have some influence on them. And I can definitely see why she would take some form of responsibility for the way that her oldest son has turned out because she didn't know any better, obviously that things were going to turn out this way, but she did further push Toyo in that direction. Yeah. I, I do want to be very clear just so it, 
does it feel like this is blaming victims oh, here no. for anything of, of like I, domestic, I, 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 domestic I, I, violence or anything like that? No. I don't think Ray has to sit here and take responsibility in the sense of like, I really fucked up. But there is a level of acknowledgement that she she's saying here of like, look, there was a part that I played in this as well. You're still the asshole. And I think the <laughs> ultimate goal they're trying to get at here is us as a family we have to do things mm. to stop toya but again that would have been a probably a better thing if there wasn't the line of you're not the only one who's responsible mm-hmm. and now we all have to you could probably say well she's just saying she's the only one it's just one of those things that like it makes it a lot messier by the nature of that line being in there so those two pages that are facing each other where they each say why they it's partially their fault and then ray decides what they have to do there's some that's where all the mixed thoughts that i have about this come from the part that comes after that where ray says we have this other son that we did put through these things and he's started to forgive us and he's our hero that's all really good yes because it plays up how important shoto is right now not just in the world but also to this family and how this if this whole situation is going to be resolved then he is going to be basically the hero of that story and that's great um i think that the flashback stuff that is meant to be uh rough feels really rough and uh, yes. so i do like that i just wish that the characters had reached very slightly different conclusions and framed them in a different way because you could have avoided some of the ickiness that uh, goes on in the sentiments that they express. I think there's really a lot here to enjoy in terms of like the flashback and how it does everything. Um, It's an interesting touch that Toya keeps saying, Oh, I hate it because whenever I get worked up, I cry. I hate these stupid tears. And that explains why Dobby then has these big burn marks under his eyes, because we Mm. see in the one panel, his, his tears turn to flames when he gets really angry. Um, It's, it's a lot that it's a very raw chapter and it, it really pulls no punches. Um, And I appreciate that Horikoshi is going to be that honest in this story. Um, there really isn't any kind of whitewashing or pulling back on Endeavor. This chapter pretty much goes as far as it can to say Endeavor was an absolutely shitty human being, not just to his kids, but to his wife. And, you know, he got away with a lot of it because he had the respect of being a big hero and all the fame and attention that came with it. So I absolutely appreciate that. Um, and I think the underlying message of you know, you're not our family's hero. Shoto is our family's hero. It was a very beautiful message in, in the grandscape of, of my hero and what legacies mean. It's a pretty cool moment, I think, for, for Shoto. Um, it's weird that the chapter doesn't end on that um, mm-hmm. because I keep feeling like it should. It goes right down to the next chapter coming out yeah, line yeah. on that. I like. I think I missed it the first time I read the chapter. It's like, oh, there's a page after it. that. Yeah. yeah. So I do like that. Um, and, you know, I just appreciate that it ended up being, you know, a, a an honest and uncomfortable story. But 
I mean, if you're going to go in for a penny with Endeavor being an abusive father and he has to have a story of redemption in here, then you you have to be willing to do this part as well. And I kind of appreciate it. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> All right, now let's talk about something fucking ridiculous, which is the opening page of Boruto. Yeah, okay, so... <laughs> when Baron Von Hot Topic shows up. So... Has this character showed up before no, at no, all? No, I don't believe so. I do not believe so. But he shows up in this chapter. But this is the fucking... This may be the worst design in human history. I, I couldn't figure out where to put my spiked collar, so I just... <laughs> eh. Just hung it over my head. It's, so, um, we have a friend, Brennan, who was a huge Naruto fan. Huge. Uh, he kind of stopped reading board, like didn't read Boruto, but eventually I like explained a couple things and he looked up Kawaki and he okay. saw Kawaki's design and just started laughing. He's like, this is the most try hard design I've ever seen. And I was like, you know, I kind of like Kawaki. This guy though, it's 100% every bit of like, man, this is, this is some real over-designed nonsense. Like he's wearing a cape, but it's also a hoodie and a cloak, but he's dapper, yeah. but he's cool and edgy, but he also looks 12, so the 12-year-olds could feel like they're cool. His jacket also is, like, stitched together parts of two jackets, so one of them is almost like a sweater, and the other is like a, is like a you know, a, a suit jacket thing, and it keeps alternating across his body and down his sleeves. Yeah. So it's like, God, will you just Pick one outfit. <laughs> it's so it's uh, Ninja's saying that we've seen him earlier in the manga. I don't I recall. I was wondering if he showed up with Kara before. I don't, yeah, I don't recall it, but maybe. I feel like we saw all the members. I feel like I would have remembered a member this stupid looking in Kara. Do a lot if he did. Yeah, all right, maybe. So, <laughs> listen, guys. If you would just let Kishimoto keep his stupid sci-fi samurai series, we could have put all the stupid shit he comes up with in that one. Oh, boy. When did I ever tell you that the Espada were numbered from one to ten? <laughs> so, Naruto wakes up in a spirit void place with Kurama. And Kurama calls to him, and Naruto's like, oh, I guess that means I was like, oh, yeah, uh, I came to say goodbye. And this uh this may be our last conversation. And I was like, well, I mean, you did kill my parents, but you know what? Well, we've been through a lot, so I'm glad you're around. Thanks. And Grandma's like, anything else you have to say? <laughs> well, I didn't make a speech. <laughs> so he's like, I don't really have no, any idea what to say. And so, but Grandma tells him the barium mode worked. We took down the Otsutsuki guy. I just didn't want to chase any tail, chase my tails and die in vain. Whatever that means. Uh, so this isn't so bad a way to die. And Naruto's is like, yeah, I'm still worried, though, about the village and Boruto and Kawaki. And Kurama's like, yeah, you'll have to take care of that by yourself from now on. Oh, yeah. Normally, when a Jinshiriki's biju is extracted, they die. But that doesn't apply to you. The biju's chakra simply vanishes. It probably looks to others like you're dead, but it's no more than a temporary state of shock. Don't worry. You'll wake up soon. And Naruto's like, what? Yeah, the Baryan mode's price 
is my life, not yours, Naruto. No. Just so you know, at no time did I ever say that you would die. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he fucking did. <laughs> he, very, he very straightforward said, the price is you'll die. <laughs> so Naruto's like, you lied to me. And Kurama does point out like, yeah, but if I had said that I would die for the price of it, then you would have never used it. You would have hesitated. So that's why I fibbed. Because, uh, you know, you're all sentimental and stuff. Anyway, goodbye! <laughs> Poof. <laughs> I actually, uh, so I know people are kind of upset. I actually kind of like that goodbye. Like, it is very much like a who said that you were going to die fake out thing. Um, but that also makes sense that, like, you know, Krama initially was this super antagonistic force within Naruto, and then by the end of it, they had, like, come to make their peace. And I was like, what would the evolution of that friendship be? And I was like, oh, sarcastic kind of shitty friends, I feel like, is the way, like, those people you're buds with, but are just, like, you, you know, kind of shitty towards each other. Uh, and that feels, asshole. yeah, like, that's what Krama is. He's just like, I didn't say it. You were going to die, stupid. I said one of us was going to die. And I knew that if I, if you, if you knew it was going to be me, you wouldn't have done it. Like, it's, you know, it's fine. I actually think it's a little bit sweet. Hmm. Uh, Naruto wakes up in reality. Boruto is super happy that his dad ain't dead. Uh, the transition between the two, I think, is also very sweet of, of Naruto reaching into the smoke that Karama disappeared out of and then seeing his son grab his hands. Yeah. I thought that was actually kind of sweet. Uh, so there is much happiness. Kawaki falls over like, ah, all right, yeah. Um, they, they, a little bit of time passes. Naruto brings Sasuke up to speed on what the hell just happened. Uh, and then Kawaki is like, okay, yeah, that's nice and all, but can we talk about this after we go home? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Sasuke is like, hey, Boruto, can you do it? You stabbed my fucking eye that I used to summon space time. <laughs> I love how ruthless it is. He's just like, hey, can you do it? I know, on the account of my fucking eye being stabbed. <laughs> oh, right? He's like, no, I'm just stating the fact that you stabbed me in the eye. Now I can't teleport us out of here, so you're going to have to do it. Because on the, on the account of my eye being stabbed out by you. So you have to do it. Because my eye got stabbed. <laughs> But if you hadn't carried kunai in your pocket, because who the fuck uses those, <laughs> then I would still have my eye. <laughs> so, uh, Boruto tries to do this. Meanwhile, uh, uh, some guy wakes up from a nap. And um, he's there with the ten-tailed beast thing that's like snoring too. He's like, okay, going back to sleep. And he looks down at his hand. And he starts monologuing to himself. <laughs> he's, he's got like the, the the freaking karma mark thing. Yeah. But it's white instead of black. And so he's like, damn it, Kawaki, supplanting me and being specially chosen to become an official Otsutsuki vessel. Why would you be upset over that? I wouldn't waste the opportunity. And if I'd actually had a real karma instead of this dud. Good to know. <laughs> well, he had to, he had to monologue exactly what his particular situation is because none of us would have remembered because we would have been blown away 
after we saw this character's design for the first time, we'd have forgotten everything else that was happening yeah. in the scene. We'd have been like, holy shit, this character is so cool. I don't even know what he's saying. I'm just admiring the fact that he has an earring in one ear, but then a giant fucking bracelet on his hair on the other side. You know what? Maybe we did actually forget because uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Anything of that. I, I don't so, know. <laughs> suddenly his hand goes and puffs out a bunch of smoke. And Ashiki appears, and he says, Code! My most loyal, beloved servant! <laughs> you know, the way people talk to each other. <laughs> We've always known each other. Code! My faithful servant, who received karma at one point, but it was incomplete, thus making sense as to why you were not a pivotal part of the last scene where I needed a vessel. How are you today? <laughs> Code, because that's a normal name to give someone. So he's like, Ishiki, what are you doing here? And Ishiki, I don't know. I guess before he manifested here, he had time to write this speech. Because he goes, how fate indulges an irony that with all my vessels gone and nowhere for my soul to dwell, its destination would be you, Code, who could not become a vessel. I was deceived and betrayed by Amado, forced to resurrect in Jigen, and thus set it up like so. It caused... Well, we actually know all that, so I don't need to go with that. Code looks at his karma, and he's like, but this karma is a dud. Unlike Kawaki, I could become a vessel, as has just been said for the third fucking time in four pages. I am beyond humble that you have appeared before me, but unfortunately, I cannot serve as a receptacle for your soul. And... <laughs> Ishiki goes... The non-vessel white karma. That is my legacy dwelling within you in the form of pure power. And you shall inherit the Utsutsuki will in addition to that white karma. Code. My most faithful servant. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and fiction ass writing is this it, bullshit. I swear this, to God. This honestly does, especially with the way you're reading this line, feel like a... Uh, like a a cutscene in an MMO where they have to put your shitty over-designed OC into the scene. <laughs> that's what he's got. <laughs> he's got all the bullshit on him because uh, one of the McElroy brothers did it for a video and <laughs> you had to sit here as he gives up all the dialogue as this fucking monstrosity sitting there. Look, it's this equipment has all the best stats. I don't care if it doesn't go together. <laughs> Code stands up meaningfully, and then Ishiki says, My soul will dissipate shortly, but I cannot allow the Otsutsuki will to be snuffed out as well. Not when we have devoured countless planets that continuously evolved over thousands of years. And Code's like, Okay. <laughs> so what's my role in all of this? Because I'm very cool. Yeah, and... and <laughs> Ishiki says, Kawaki or Uzumaki Boruto consecrate either of them to ten tails and cultivate a divine tree eat it eat the fruit that comes from that tree put it in your mouth great yourself <laughs> put it in your mouth and let me watch it'll be funny <laughs> he's just pranking him <laughs> eat the fruit put it in your mouth don't ask questions just do it What'll happen? Uh, go forth and devour planet after planet across space. Keep evolving until you become a peerless, unique existence. 
Oh God! I swear, after you eat that fruit, you won't turn into me. <laughs> Scout's honor! Scout's honor! <laughs> Go travel the cosmos. Raise all of your stats to eight and then turn them on their side. Open your head and pull out your key. And you can also meet the god Fuyomudo. They're like, no, no, you can't. No, we're staying on fucking Naruto planet. You're not doing this shit. Ah, Boruto! How does it feel to be send the silent, actually? <laughs> That's the Our twist. character art starts gradually morphing into samurai characters. He's like, I'm gonna get samurai eight there one way or fucking other. You cannot stop me. Listen, the only problem with Samurai 8 was that no one had the patience to sit through to the sci-fi stuff. But if I just put it in the Naruto series, people will read that shit anyway. Yeah, I'll just have characters throw a shuriken every so often or some shit. No, 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 the difference. <laughs> that was my problem. No one was throwing shuriken in the Samurai series. This <laughs> anyway, but people love the shuriken. They ate up that shit. They're idiots. So... Then Ishiki is like, all right, so you're going to inherit the Otsutsuki will. Uh, and then you shall inherit that will and become a god. And Code's like, a god? But as a worshiper of Otsutsuki, you were my god. That's my character, guys. <laughs> so he says, so first, I will dispose of those who stole the pillar of my heart from me. Before I have the divine tree absorb all life. Tell me. The names of the bastards who destroyed you. Kawaki and Porto was a Harry kind of brought them up. <laughs> feed don't, them to the tree. Don't kill them both. You got to feed one to the tree so you can eat the fruit. And I want to watch it because it's going to be funny. Not because you're going to be, you're gonna be such a cool god. That's why it's going to be funny. Cool god. <laughs> you're going to be the god of, of bro-ness. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, bros, you don't like bros because you're emo. Uh, the god of darkness! <laughs> and my chemical romance! <laughs> He's like, I'm more of a good Charlotte fan. Like, fucking course you are. You couldn't even like the good fucking emo bands. I mean, of course, code, my loyal disciple. <laughs> Actually, how old are you exactly? What are the kids into these days? I don't really know. <laughs> I am a thousand-year-old Otsuzuki. <laughs> so... Boruto is trying to, meanwhile, cast the space-time jutsu by getting constipated, essentially. He's like, Aah! and uh, so it's not going. And then Kawaki's like, loosen up. You're stiff as a board. It should be easy if you relax. Honestly, this does sound like he's trying to get him to take a dump, but oh well. So, uh, but Kawaki calls him out. I was like, are you scared that he will emerge again? And because of the Otsutsuki that emerged inside of Boruto, come from the karma. And Boruto says, I don't want to experience that again. I, but I can't guarantee that it won't happen. So Kawaki's like, well, thanks to you and everyone else, my karma's gone. I lived only to get rid of it, but it turned out that I couldn't do anything by myself. And it's the same with you. You ain't likely to solve it all on your own, so stop thinking about it. I'll somehow get rid of your karma. I swear it. And he's Boruto's taken aback by this. Kawaki says, hey, you know, I'm, it's, this isn't over just because mine's gone. We agreed to help each other, so I'm going to hold us to that promise until you're free of the karma as well. And I suffered under it for years, so I'm more used to dealing with it. So I won't rest until all karma is gone. So they make that agreement, and they're like, okay, well, now we need to use it to go back to the village. So Bard's like, yeah, how do I do that? 
just do it <laughs> and this works kind of um we cut to uh konoha village people are like where are naruto and the others they don't know they're still monitoring the situation people are worried and even Amato's actually kind of worried. He's he's kind of distracted looking and doesn't respond when he's first uh, spoken to about this. Uh, but uh, at that moment, Shikamaru gets word uh, that the they've that Naruto and the others have been found and that the Otsutsuki is gone. Amato immediately is like, what about Kawaki? Is he OK? And Shikamaru is like, yeah, they're all fine. We're all heading there now. We cut to the roof of some Konoha building. Boruto has managed to teleport everyone there. And uh, they've made it all and stuff like that. Kawaki and Boruto start going, shut up. Yeah, yeah, okay, we're cool. We're cool with each other. Yeah, we're a good team. Yeah, cool. Yeah, okay. Don't like you, but yeah, we're cool. Uh, Code has taken to the word that he must become a god by going, "Mm, I will kill them and become Mamashiki's vessel. Mm, mm, mm." Perhaps afterwards I will sew their skin into another mismatched part part of my jacket. I do not like that both of my leg warmers look identical. One shall be different after I slay those fools. <laughs> so <laughs> that's his Mr. Zaz trait. Every time he kills someone, he adds another stupid accessory to his costume. <laughs> um, I am. This is another chapter that I have mixed thoughts on. There's a lot of stuff that's very easy to mock and that I think is stupid. All the stuff with code is stupid. All 100% of it. It is very bad. The stuff with Boruto and Kawaki, it's like, hey, that's pretty cool. They've been through this experience together and it has brought them closer together. And they're basically at this point just 100% friends who just are kind of assholes to each other. Like we were talking about before. Yes. Uh, However, uh, the stuff that involves Kurama... I don't like the way that it's executed, really. But mm. in the grand scheme of things, hey, we've got to make this Boruto story. So let's get rid of both Naruto and Sasuke's most powerful weapons and techniques. Sure. It's good yeah. planning. So I get it. I, I agree with you. I like the first half of this chapter a good bit. Um, I really do like the relationship between Kawaki and Boruto. Um and I appreciate kind of all the little details there, but Code is such a stupid looking character that mm-hmm. like I'm not buying him as the new big threat. He just looks so lame that there is no way to take this character seriously at the moment. I wonder if it's a matter of like, because um, this is something that like Kishimoto's kind of done for a while, too, is that. There are some characters that he just can't stop himself on when he's designing them. And this has been a thing of his for decades. Like, uh, he's got notes about Sasuke and how, like, he kept on, like, adding accessories to his original design. Because he's like, oh, yeah. I just thought he looked so cool. So I wanted to add all this stuff onto his arm and stuff and all this and that. And then, eventually, he greatly simplified Sasuke's design when he turned all evil and stuff like that. And had a really stupid-looking cursed form. Uh, but... I don't know. I think that sometimes he just gets carried away with this stuff and he really and he, he he's got too much power. He needs someone to stop him and be like, yeah, um, you're not drawing this anymore. I am. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, somebody should definitely have, have pulled him aside and just been like, look, I think seven accessories is enough for this character. 
Uh, All right, let's talk about Kaiju number eight. Chapter 26. Um, we get a flashback to start Dead things off. Trigger! He's kind of. Yeah. Uh, of uh, Shinomiya um, getting her custom weapon. She was approached by uh, Hoshina and uh, Mina, uh, who uh, were like, yeah, normally we only give captains uh, special weapons, but we're making an exception because of the situation, because there have been a lot of really powerful kaijus that have been emerging in the past year and you're number three in combat power at the base so you're going to basically be part of the main force now going forward you will act as a third major force in line behind vice captain and captain and exterminate kaiju and we get this awesome pose back in the present after shumi has taken a kaiju down and she's got her new awesome axe over her shoulder and uh she tries to pull the soy fun thing of like this super clunky uh, ultimate weapon really does not suit me. I don't have taste for it. I mean, this axe is all boorish and stuff. Um, and uh, she takes out another one of the kaiju immediately. Huge overhand slash. Um, and we get some explanations of the powers as we go through it. Uh, so like she can accelerate the swing uh, by conducting uh stuff through uh, basically the suit's power through the handle so yeah she can basically at any time just summon a rocket booster on the back of the axe in order to make it swing harder that because is, why not that is supremely cool as well uh it can also emit a frontal shockwave upon impact which she calls water skimmer and so she can just swing the axe and just a big wave takes a chunk out of another one She's doing all this stuff, and Ichikawa's like, the weapon doesn't suit you, huh? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, you're aggressive and super like confrontational. A giant battle axe is exactly the right fitting thing for you. Yeah, and as she's getting more and more into it, you're like, yeah, no, this is a perfect fit for <laughs> Uh But, hey, not to discount the fact that uh, Ren- Reno's been getting better, too. Uh, his freeze rounds uh, take down one of the the kaiju that tries to uh, attack uh, Shinomiya from above, and uh, it falls to the ground harmlessly. So uh, that happens. She chops off kind of one of their heads. That's her, and so she she's already got like three signature techniques that she's been rolling out. So presumably, over the course of the past couple of weeks, while Reno was you know in hospital, uh, she's probably been practicing with this thing. I would assume either that or she's a massive nerd and she just makes up names for her attacks every time she comes up with a new one i like to think it's that (laughs) she might be so they take up uh you know uh they basically decide to act as a unit there and shinomi is like okay yeah back me up and uh we'll disorganize the kaiju uh meanwhile hoshina is fighting the lead humanoid kaiju which is very, very, very strong and very, very fast. Uh, it's like swinging its fists all around him. And while he's dodging around them, there are like shockwaves impacting a truck behind him. Uh, and Hoshina observes that on top of all of that, the thing seems to get to get a thrill out of fighting. So he orders the glasses girl that we've seen as his assistant this whole time. Okonogi is her name. I'm sure it's been mentioned before, but it probably has been a while since <laughs> he's actually said her name. Uh, he orders her to open up gate number three, which 
Uh, she does, and Hoshina starts to retreat backwards through a gate that opens up behind him. But the kaiju, as the gate is opening, just punches into it and makes a massive dent. He's like, oh, come on! <laughs> what was the point of opening it? Come on! We're out to fix that. That's expensive. Government money! Uh, but as he's, I guess, distracted from this, the thing suddenly vanishes and just kind of flashes to the side. And the humanoid kaiju mocks him, saying, you should feel proud of yourself. There's not many kaiju included who can scrap with me. I'm going to love feeding on you for sustenance. And uh, it punches Hoshina, who blocks with his blades and sends a massive shockwave out behind him, which makes Odinogi go, oh, no, vice captain. Uh, But then the smoke clears and the kaiju goes, you're not bad. And one of its arms has been cut off. <laughs> that is a supremely cool move because you you do see like the two fists, and then you don't even see the one hand come off until you just see like the stump. So he realized what happened before the arm even had a chance to come off. Yeah. So Hushina says, "All right, sorry, Kanogi, but this is urgent. So I'm going to keep my request really short because I'm going to I can go all out here. So." Make sure that I could be basically alone with this thing. And he goes to unleash maximum combat power, which for him is 92%. And he says it's time to neutralize. So it looks like we're going to get a little bit of a taste of Hoshina's true combat power. I'm actually kind of pretty excited for it. Um, it seems like it's going to be a cool back and forth. I like Shinomiya showing off her battle axe. And I don't... It feels weird because I feel like there is no way Hoshina can, like, be the winner here because, like, we just met this new kaiju and it feels weird if, like, it gets defeated that quickly without Kafka or Ashino or anybody like that being around. But at the same time, like, uh, he's been built up enough that I feel like he could lose two straight matches in a row and I'd still be like, what a cool character. I love him. Hoshida's <laughs> <laughs> the best. Uh, yeah. Uh, it seems like if he is going to, if Hoshina's is going to lose this, it's probably going to be one of those things where it looks like he's won, but there's one last trick that the uh, Kaiju yes. has in store that he wasn't counting on and that takes him off guard or something like that. But he might just butcher the thing. Yeah. So. It's very real. I do appreciate being put in that mind of like being confident that, you know, the good guy is going to win, even though part of me feels the possibility that they won't. Because it's like it's been a while since I've had that kind of degree of like, you know, there's just that kind of sense of like, yeah, they're awesome. And then, you know, being shocked when they get their ass kicked. And I always feel like a lot of the stuff that we read, I kind of anticipate those beats coming. And while I feel like that might happen, I don't like feel it as like the thing that I'm expecting this time. So. Okay, we have spy family to talk about. Yes, we technically do. Technically, it's mission 41. It's a Yuri chapter. There are some interesting aspects of what happens here because we see, you know, kind of what his career is, you know, what, you know, a couple weeks on the job are like for him. He is tasked with uh, basically tracking the movements of this one newspaper journalist guy who has been feeding anti-government stuff 
to, uh, you know, propaganda newspapers and stuff like that. And uh, so Yuri is basically like, yeah, okay, I'm going to track his movements, figure out where his publisher is and, you know, get him arrested after I get proof that he's been doing this. And uh, as he spends some time following this guy, he sees first, uh, you know, the guy manipulating a situation so he can get a photo op of like, oh, this is how bad things are in the West, where it's such a dickhead move. He snatches a toy gun from a kid and throws it in the dumpster so he and his friends will go digging for it. And then he's like, ah, urchins hungry for food, scrounging for scraps. Yes, perfect. And then when the kid's like, you're a big jerk, he's like, well, maybe you should be worried that your adherence to ideologies of the West will get you arrested and killed. Ah, ha, ha, ha. And the kid's like, I'm seven. <laughs> Uh, Yuri gets pissed off of this, but, but his someone else who's working the job with him is like, hey, we've got a job. We've got to track him to the publisher. Then the chapter kind of humanizes the journalist a bit because we see that the reason he's actually doing this is so that he'll get paid enough money to support his sick father because uh, uh, his mom has either left or is also deceased uh, as a result of them not having any money. So... Uh, we see briefly as Yuri is, you know, listening in on, you know, his apartment that he starts to type into his report. Oh, I wonder if he's motivated by concern for his family. And then he rips the page out and crumbles it up and throws it away. So he's getting a little bit too attached to this guy uh, as he's working this case. But he still manages to carry on with the mission. He sees that the guy works at the post office. And basically after uh, pack, uh, packages have been approved, he slips uh, his manuscripts into the, the approved mail uh, carts and they get sent that way. And once he's done that, they've got him because then they've got the address of the publisher and they can arrest him. But Yuri does the guy a little bit of a favor by basically making it known that he's going to be arrested. So that when the guy looks out the window, he sees him and some other officers waiting for him. And the guy's like, yeah, they got me. And he just goes down and basically turns himself in and, Thanks, Yuri, for not letting his dad see him getting arrested and humiliated like this. And Yuri promises after he's put the cuffs on him that he'll arrange for his father to receive some financial assistance. And he's like, all right, you know, this is an, this is an interesting little story about, you know, the two sides of this and how they kind of relate to each other on this human level. But they oppose each other completely on in terms of like ideals and where they're aligned with the countries and stuff. And uh, then Yuri goes to fawn over Yor, and that's it. Yeah, this is a fucking garbage chapter. Like, complete dog shit. I don't know who thought it would be a really entertaining story to watch a secret police officer arrest a guy. Like, it's just... I know that it's supposed to be like, oh, well, Yuri has some level of empathy because he's like, this guy cares about his family and I care about mine. But I was like... Yeah, I don't... I mean, you did as much as you could to try to make the guy seem like he's an asshole, too, but, like, it's just deeply uncomfortable to watch a chapter where... I don't know if he's supposed to be the protagonist, but he's certainly the character we're following all the mindset of basically go out and arrest insurgents. It's, like, mm. a deeply uncomfortable thing. Yeah. Um, 
I think also the fact that like he's been in opposition to Lloyd this whole time makes it like, well, he's kind of working for the bad guys. Yeah, Yuri's not a good guy. He's he's an antagonist to overcome, even if he does have some level of sympathy for other people who care about their family. Like the little touch at the end, like we'll make sure that your family will be taken care of. And I was like, sure, I guess in this very fantastical world, you would take care of somebody who's that. Yeah. (laughs) He says, I'll put in the paperwork yeah. to see if we can get it. Um, also, he's dressed like a Nazi. So. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's not subtle. Like, it's 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 just straight up. Like, again, they do what they can to try to make the guy seem like an asshole by having him, like, you know, throw the gun into the trash can to, like, oh, well, I'll fake the, the conditions of this country. But at the same time, it's also like, yes, but he's also a, a, a struggling journalist who is trying to find the like the money to take care of his family? So I can kind of understand why he also is is kind of yeah. doing duplicitous things, because the only other way for him to make money is to kind of do these underhanded, not underhanded, but you know, to uh, you know, do these dangerous things that could get him in this exact same situation. <sighs> And then, anyway. of course, it ends on the fucking, like, oh, my sister. I love my sister. My sister's yeah. the... It's like, ugh. The one part of this entire chapter that I did actually just unequivocally like, which was was uh, when he shows up at the apartment and he sees Lloyd is there, he's like, I haven't ever heard of working late nights. <laughs> Why aren't you working extra so you aren't here when I'm here? So, all right. Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero. This is chapter 131, VRC. So, oops cancel i don't know there we go uh so we start in a flashback of ziggy introducing uh shura to gravity magic whoa so ziggy's taught many people this uh it's not gravity magic it's it's gravity gravity yeah i'm sorry i think it changed to your mic by the way um so we 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 have poseidon show up and he's basically like leave us i want to talk to ziggy alone and there's the whole conversation of Ziggy being like, that's your son, but he's a different race entirely. And besides, like, you should roll the dice for tack next time, dickhead. But yes, I adopted him and I did not. I was going to pass my power on to him, but it seems he's incompatible with it. He doesn't like rolling dice to determine bullshit's going to happen or not. So Ziggy's like, yeah, I, I came along and trained him instead. Your dice roll. Interesting numbers. A son. Hmm. And then we cut. To I the- know. <laughs> I will kidnap someone to be my son. Uh, I do like the bit with uh, Poseidon being being like, oh, yes, my power is incompatible with him. I tried to introduce him to tabletops and he was like, dad, you're lame. I'm going back to Call of Duty. <laughs> your profanities at strangers. He called me a simp and then ran away. And I have I've been too afraid to search what that means on the Internet. <laughs> The dice won't let me. <laughs> um, yeah, he basically is like, yep, Ziggy taught me. Cut to the present. It's sure he's basically, yep, Ziggy already taught me the basics, but I had a gift, enough talent to make me the king of gravity. Uh, and then uh, Saika, the robot member of the Ocean Six, is like, ah, will we we be traveling to different planets to find clues to Ziggy? And sure is like, sorry, I can't take you with me. He's like, what do you what what do you mean? I yes, I am one of the weaker members of the Ocean Six, but I assure you. And then sure grabs his head and explodes it. And we're down to just the good designs of the <laughs> Ocean Six now, I guess. 
<laughs> don't like maybe maybe hero was like i need a group of six for this story because i gotta stick with the six member thing <laughs> But I only got five good designs in that contest. <laughs> <laughs> or he was like, I need six characters because I have six fights in mind. And then he was like, ah, shit, I miscounted. I only need five. <laughs> Just blows up the robot guy. Uh, everyone's like, what the fuck? Why did you do that? The Reverend was one of us. And sure, it's like, we're about to go fight the king of the robots. So I don't need any robots on my side. Bum, bum, bum. Actually makes sense. Yes, it logically it does have a, a a train to it. It's just it seems very unnecessary. You could have yeah. also have designed the Ocean Six to have not had any robotic members to it here when you made them. So I guess it's just a way to show how evil Shura is. Uh, we or ca- have him do what he said he was going to do before killing him, which would just leave him behind. <laughs> yes. Or alternatively, just kill another egg robot. It's the best thing Hero's done in this series. Every character we want to know should kill should show us where on the scale of not murder Eggbot to murder Eggbot they are. Yeah. Uh, and everyone should be far to the Eggbot murdering <laughs> side, if I have a choice. But anyway, we cut back to the Every time a character gets introduced. <laughs> and instead of having like the info box that has their name and position, there's just an exploding egg robot next to them. <laughs> uh... <laughs> we cut over to the Eden's there. Everyone's training in a new virtual reality system. Um, they're like, yeah, you know, this is a good way for us to train you because you can get all this training done, but you don't have to physically exert yourself, even though you'll feel it in the exercise. It'll also help reflect your body in the real world. Uh, and in addition, they're like, wow, you're going to use this training for seven days to make me stronger. And they're like, uh, no, actually, to your body it will appear as though it is 35 days. So, you know, we get our uh, hyperbolic time chamber moment. Um, Clean shows up in the the world as well. She's like, I want to train too. And everyone's like, are you sure? You know? And she's like, yeah, you've all done so much for me. I want to be a member of your crew with my brother. And everyone's like, oh, and then Shiki says, a new friend. And he goes to like swoop in and Chris like grabs him by the head and is just like, she said member of the crew and she's like that means friend <laughs> and chris has a moment where he's like i guess he kind of gives a smile <laughs> but i like the idea she's like that crewmate and friend are the same thing i don't know what do you mean <laughs> uh then they're basically uh it's like ah yes we're we're gonna you know you're gonna overcome the the biggest challenge of being caught like being physically restrained they're like wait you mean we'll be able to use ether gear even when bound like yes because we will have bondage training which why has this never been brought up before you can just train that away why doesn't everyone do that i feel like it's not going to be like a fully perfect system because i feel like hero unless this is hero washing his hand of this fetish if this is him being like don't care about binding girls up anymore. Done with it. Something tells me that's not the case. <laughs> so this is a and it is page fifteen. <laughs> yes, uh, we 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 get the the shot of Hamora and uh, Rebecca tied up in a whole bunch of suggestive positions. As Wise is thinking like, oh, bondage training, but actually they're all just basically wrapped up like a big mummy and suspended from the ceiling. Yeah. And Xenolith just throws big blocks at them. <laughs> I do actually really like the little bit where, you know, because because Weiss is really upset about this, that it's they're tied up in a non-sexy way. 
And so Ziggy's like, all right, just for you. And then he strings Weiss up in like a spread eagle pose. He's like, no, I don't care about me. I just love that he grabs a whole bunch of fucking blocks and just fucking starts chucking them. And then Chris is like, yeah, this doesn't work on me. So he just shoots his arms out and frees himself. And he's like, I'll untie you clean. She says, no, I do not because I need to be trained. Okay. And then she gets hit in the face with a block. And Chris is like, I'll fucking kill you, robot. I don't know why. I was like, that's actually kind of a cute scene. Well, especially because like they're having this moment where she's like, brother, cheer me up. <laughs> I I love Zeno. If only because this training's fucking hilarious. I'm just like, I'm gonna tie you up and suspend you from the ceiling, just throw big ass blocks in your face. It really <laughs> It's really it's very much like the uh uh dodgeball style like if you could dodge a wrench you could dodge a ball just <laughs> stop it stop throwing this at us yeah you'll figure it out like, there's no practical lesson currently being applied he is just hurting them <laughs> Uh but then suddenly Xenolith disappears and Hermit's like hey what's this illegal VR access and who should appear but Ziggy Dun, 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 dun. So, uh, random, stupid, unnecessary little fan service panel aside, I actually really like this chapter. <laughs> um, to the point that I was actually really disappointed when Ziggy showed up. Because I was like, oh, you're interrupting the thing that I was interested in. <laughs> because this little VR training thing, it's it's it's... It's got character to it, and I really actually like seeing the little character interactions that happen with it as we're in this little casual environment where they're, you know, trying to make progress, either, but they're all just talking and getting to know each Some of them are getting to know each other and stuff like that. I even like the workout outfits that everyone's wearing and how each of them is different and uh, some of them add a little bit of character. So, yeah. you know, like Rebecca's got like the modern workout outfit with the two top and the, and the sweatpants and Homura's got her karate gi and stuff. And, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was quite enjoying this. Oh, uh, done. Okay. <laughs> well, I uh, think it's just something to, sh- I, I do like the idea of this cheeky virtual reality thing has shown up or Ziggy rag rather in a situation where all the main characters are currently restrained and can't do anything. Cause it does create this sense of like unease, but also it prevents Shiki from just running up and punching this thing and making it disappear or something like that. I don't know what this is exactly supposed to be. It definitely seems like Shiki's hacking the system. Um, but I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by it. It's entirely possible that this is part of uh, Zeno's test mm-hmm. and that he's doing this in order to push them to, you know, have the emotional, motivation to uh actually free themselves but uh i don't know i feel like throwing blocks at them was, was would have been it would have been more entertaining than this so i guess we'll find out absolutely all right the eternal samurai elusive samurai not the eternal samurai <laughs> i was Jump like eternal fly. samurai we got a new one Yes, new f- five weeks in a row with a new series we're going to add all of them <laughs> so uh, we get a bit of a recap of, uh, Ashikaga's, uh, conquest, basically, uh, of the Shogunate and how quickly, uh, the Hojo clan was conquered. Um, and, um, yeah, they're basically just kind of bu- building up the Tokiki's just, you know, a freaking 
military genius as we get chapter five hunting 1333 and an interesting thing happens here that kind of surprised me but then when i thought about it, i was like oh yeah that makes sense so the hojos were a shogunate there's still an emperor though above all the shoguns it's like okay so takauji goes to the see the emperor and we don't get to see the emperor's face hidden behind a, a curtain with his eyes glowing from behind it. And the emperor says, oh, I commend you for, for your work. Uh, I will grant you the use of a character from my former name so you can now use that character when writing your name. And this is, a, you know, Tokiyuki says, oh, this is a great, not Tokiyuki, Takauji. I keep getting their names mixed up. Says this is a great honor. And uh, he acts very humble and, and, and uh, he, he says... Because the emperor offers him a chance to uh, uh, have a post in the court. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm a soldier. Uh, instead, my retainers are the ones who excel in wisdom and valor. And I would be happy to have them placed in the new administration. And after this, a whole bunch of the people who are in attendance are like, oh, wow. You know, I thought that this guy would be a horrible demon, but he's handsome. He's got a nice smile and he's so humble. He's and so cute and... And uh, they say, the Mikado's prayers have come true. Instead of the shogunate, the Mikado and the nobility once again govern the land. And we cut afterwards to Takauji, who is uh, being attended to by his steward, we are introduced to, Kono Moronao. And uh, Kono's like, yeah, good job there. Uh, but uh, he's looking at him a weird way. And so Takauji says, is something wrong? And Kono says, well, I've served you since you were a child. And recently, your smile has lost its humanity. Takauji smiles while looking at him, while tears stream from his eyes. And he says, nonsense. Let us all give the Mikado our full support. And through his slitted eyes, we see that his eyes are, in fact, many eyes. <gasps> because we can't forget who wrote this, who's writing this series. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So it seems that there is something at play here then uh, that uh, might not have been immediately obvious at first. It could just be symbolic uh, because there's been a lot of, you know, symbolism of like, oh, a game with a demon kind of thing that's been going on this yeah. series. Or maybe he is literally a magic demon person. So <laughs> that both are very real possibilities with this author. So. Uh. And so we cut away after after that to uh, Tokiyuki's group. And uh, it's been a little bit of time. Yoshishi, y uh, Yorishige uh, says, okay, now that you've gotten accustomed to life here, you must increase your allies and gather retainers. Retainers are followers with military skill. They fight and risk their lives for their master. A lord's strength depends upon the strength of his retainers. So you need more generals in your dynasty warriors campaign, okay? So, yeah, you need your cavaliers, and you're going to need your generals. Uh, you're going to probably want an archer. And then you, you can't forget the magic triangle as well. But to be honest, you really only ever want druids for their dark magic. And, you know, they can just self-heal off of that. So you really just go one straight route on that. Uh, but paladins can get an extra like level of mobility. So, you know, there's a little bit more versatility on the martial side of things. Everything you just said. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I was bluffing. <laughs> I just made up a bunch of stuff I vaguely feel like I heard for one of the fire. Oh, your bluff games. was even better. Yeah. So. <laughs> you just got to fake it, Nick. You know, no one will know unless they actually yeah. know. And yeah. then you just call them liar and then they can't say Or anything. you can just claim you're talking about some other mm-hmm. video game. Yeah, no, there's I'm, too many I'm, to check. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't talking about Fire Emblem. I'm talking about uh, Shining Force. And then someone's like, I'm the biggest Shining Force fan there are. And I was like, well, I was t- talking about uh, Bonk 2, Bonk's Revenge. <laughs> What's a game no one gives a single fuck about? Uh, Acro the Acrobat 2. <laughs> so, uh, but Yoshida kind of is unnecessarily brings the mood down by saying, like, yeah, unfortunately, all your family are dead, so you don't have any, any vassals aside from these kids. And he gives a proper introduction at last to the kids who have been hanging out and serving as his new vassals this entire time. So, first, is Kojiro, who is confirmed to be a guy, uh, and he is introduced as the finest swordsman of his generation, or among the finest swordsmen, and he will someday lead an army. Then there is the tall girl, Ayako, who is incredibly gifted and and strong in the arts. She is a binjo, which is basically like a combat maid, but who sometimes would fight in this time. Uh, and then there is his own daughter, Shizuku, or at least is referred to as his daughter. I don't know if they're biological or not, uh, who is a wielder of secret arts. And she is a steward who manages the household. And they're all the same age as you. And Tokyuki looks at, uh, at Ayako and is like, wait, you're the same age as me. You're like a foot taller than me. And she's like, do you like big girls? Which, you know what, girl, go for it. His last girlfriend's dead, so the way is clear. (laughs) Lock that down. (laughs) It is also worth noting that, uh, yes, I'm sure if if Resident Evil Village has taught me anything, yes, everyone likes big girls. They want Vampire Mommy to step on them. That is just the reality. I assume that is true for every character. I admire Ayako's confidence, honestly. Uh, (laughs) She's like, do you like that? (laughs) Yeah. So... um, Yarishige concludes this by like, okay, you, you've got to get to know them and make use of, of them. And if you are all raised like a family, they will become your stalwart comrades in the future. Okay, that's all nice. But give it to me in a modern context. Can you give this to me in a way that, like, in the world of major sports, what would this mean? Like, well, you see... It's like signing a new player to your team in a press event. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, in order to get across the importance of gathering allies, this is depicted as if Tokiyuki's going to go around and sign a new samurai to his baseball team. <laughs> so, um, he then makes a... Uh, a Dragon Ball reference... <laughs> His hair turns into Goku's hair, and he says, In the future, people will call such mainstream, predictable plot developments Odo Tenkai. And it maybe goes like, Huh, well, it's good to know that, like, gathering members of your team has a name <laughs> in <laughs> circles. So Tokiyuki's like, What the fuck are you talking about? And then they split off. The kids have lunch together, and uh, they're like, Hey, so what, what, what do we want to do together? And Tokiyuki's like, you mean I'll, I can just ask for anything and you guys will do it? Yeah, we're your retainers. Well, okay. Can we play tag? And <laughs> Coach Rose like, no, because you'll just run away before we can catch you. 
It's like, yeah, ask us anything. No, not the thing you like doing. No, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. <laughs> they all have awful ideas of what they should do instead. Kojiro's like, the one specifically is very like. I was like, oh, you're terrifying. Uh, is like, let's sneak into the homes of those traitorous Ashikagas and poop on the floor. <laughs> Look, I understand that. We've all we've all been there. We all want to defecate in the house of those who have wronged us. Uh, Ayako says, let's do push-ups until someone dies. Okay. Little extreme, but I like your energy. I think that, you know, we'll put that on the back burner. We might have to change a couple things, but that's still feasible. Shizuku puts her hands to her cheeks and blushes as she says, or jam marbles into an ant's nest. <laughs> I was like, oh, so she's the insane one. So she's like the crazy, like, Robin, I had like the macabre one or something yeah. like that. Like, As someone who in their life did nearly die from stepping in an ant's nest. Don't do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Ayako eventually suggests that they try and go hunting, uh, since that'll be good for combat training in a different way. Uh, which um, <laughs> Tokuyuki is like, I mean, is it okay for like shrine attendants to do that? But uh, Shizuku explains that Suo Myojin is a god of hunting, so they can hunt and eat as much as they want, and it's not against their religion, which is explained in a little image of Yori Shige with a bucket of not KFC. Yeah. Um <laughs> He's like, I, I like meat. Okay. So they go hunting. Uh, Tokiyuki is not a good shot with the bow and arrow. Uh, he gets, he, he nearly shoots uh, a rabbit, but it dodges out of the way. And Kojiro's like, eh, not bad for you. <laughs> so Kojiro, like, you know, sliced away some trees with his sword so that Tokiyuki gets a better shot. And then Ayaka's like, yeah, but it's hard to aim with a big bow. So this is way easier. She just throws a giant rock at the thing. <laughs> uh, it dodges away from that. We catch up a little bit with Yorishige uh, as one of the other priests is like, hey, Tokyuki has gone hunting with the others. And Yorishige is like, yes, I have foreseen this. And they will face a great challenge. We cut back to the hunt then immediately after that. I'm pretty sure this rabbit is doing like the duck hunt dog laugh or something like that because it is laughing at them. Yes. And then suddenly it dies <laughs> <laughs> as a massive beast, some sort of warthog or something like that. Just sneak attacks it and kills it immediately and like swallows it almost whole. And we get an explanation that in this period of history in Japan, there was widespread famine, war, and death. So instead of crops or fruit, it was much easier for wild beasts to feed upon human flesh. And once they learned its taste, they began prowling for fresh meat to the people of that time. They were demonic beasts. And this creature is introduced by Shizuku as being like some sort of ox demon. And uh, it wants to eat them. And it's a really, really big Boar. Like, it's bigger than any of the kids. And it looks like it might be larger than any of them put together. And this is bad because, although they are armed, it doesn't seem like they'll easily be able to actually hit any vital organs because it's so large. But this is training. 
because they are going to have to face much more imposing, dangerous enemies in the future. And uh, so Yorishige is just, you know, off by himself, knowing that these kids are going to be attacked by a massive demon boar thing. And he's like, you guys are going to have to fight that thing in order to get, get strong enough. So good luck with that. And we are introduced to the ox demon Botan, which has too many tusks. Too many tusks. A lot of tusks. And just other things that I assume are tusks, but I don't know. It's all unnerving. Um, I like this chapter a lot. I'm actually... So when it first started, I was like, okay, a lot more Japanese history lore that I'm going to try to pretend like I understand, but I definitely don't. Uh, so I was a little concerned. But uh, pulling it in to just be like, okay, so you know, we're five chapters in. We've had these retainers since the first chapter. We haven't really done a lot with them. Here's their explanation. Here's a bit of their personality. And now they're all going to have to work together to to stop a big contest. And the whole point of this is to show how these retainers work together. It's unlike, you know, the match with the uncle, which was all about our lead showing off his ability. This is to show off all these characters. And even just gained a small snippet of their personalities has made these retainers more interesting to me. You know, yeah. like Ayako is obviously the one kind of stealing the show as the one who's like, do you like big girls? Let's do push-ups until we die. Oh, we had to kill that rabbit. I'm going to grab a giant boulder and fucking throw it at it. Ugh. Yeah, I do quite like her. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to also see like, Continuing the kind of the, the, this running joke, it seems that Tokyoki is just helplessly surrounded by insane people. Yes. But they're all crazy in different ways. So each of them feels different enough from each other. Yeah. So. Uh, <clears throat> I'm excited to see where this goes. All right. Magu-chan. God Don't we have Vitalsi? Oh, you're right. That does go ahead of that one. Hang on. Wait, did I forget to open that? That's why I don't have it open. I forgot oh. to open it up. Ah, vamp for me! <laughs> I tell C, chapter four, start. And we open with, I, I don't know if this, I, I, the, the kidnapper, I guess, of her original case saying, Risa, you shouldn't fall in love with a kidnapper like me, as uh, I was looking over her unsolved case report from way back in the day. And then eventually, uh, Ukon, I believe it is, just shows up and is like, oh, a trip? He's like eating... It looks like he's eating two. He is. He's eating two chocolate bars at once and taking a bite from both of them at the same time. So he is definitely a serial killer of some kind. <laughs> I mean, he might just be mellow. I'm trying to remember what that's a reference to. Mellow. It's the guy from uh, from Death Note. Oh, yeah. Now I remember why I didn't want to because fucking mellow sucked ass. Okay. Also, he only ate one chocolate bar, I think. That's true, yes. This, this, maybe, this, this is, guy's... maybe this is Melo's final form. I don't know. Why isn't it dead? Wow. Okay, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so that's all going on. They're going... Uh, they're, Sakon's telling his brother, like, I got my first paycheck, and I want to take you on a trip to show you my thanks. Uh, and Ukon's like, well, I'm not really a trip taker. Uh, and Sakon's like, well, I was thinking that it has a famous sweet shop in Amelia Ukon's, like, in full tourist gear. Like, he's just... <laughs> like, the hat appears on his head and a camera around his neck. Uh, and then Sakon's like, yeah, it's a cheap inn in the area, but it's in the Hot Springs district. And immediately, suddenly, Ayao is there, too. And she's like, oh, <laughs> invite me, invite me, take me, take me, too, take me, take me, take me. <laughs> so they arrive at the district. And uh, once they're there, Sakon is like, you know, I'm surprised that you wanted to come too. 
because you're a murder freak and you know you you you, you doing a normal thing seems weird. Like, yeah. Oh well, it's not for normal reasons <laughs> because my entire life sur- it revolves around murders. This is where they film the mystery drama Winter Sonata, but it's a name, not Sonata. It's Sonata or something like that. And she's like, I'm a big fan of the murder, Professor Natsukaze. And we see the protagonist delivering the freaking CSI Miami line of, so not a fan of abiding the law, are you? Which is just like, I don't know if I hate or love that. <laughs> I love that she would be a fan of like super cheesy, shitty dramas and things like that. Like like CSIs and things like that. She's just like, there's like a billion episodes. I get to fall in love with someone new every week. It's kind of weird when the series makes her out to kind of be like a true crimes fan on top of everything else. Because like I sort of think of true crime fans as being like separated from the, you know, visceral real world death kind of thing. And they're just like, oh, this is such an interesting story. But then she's like, I go and track them down and I try to, you know fall in love with them so it's a little weird that this more normal expression of that interest is part of her character anyway that's why she's 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 gone on this trip is because this is where the mystery drama series went and she arranges for a photo op like from one of the episodes so she has Sakon wear a mask so that he's the murderer and he's killing her while she goes ah uh and um Sakon's like well as long as we're here, there'll be no new cases and nothing putting her in danger. Because she's a human being, and I'm glad that she's not being used like a tool by the police. And when you see her in this context, you realize she's just a regular girl. And she's like, look, guys, this is the river where they found the body in episode eight. That's such a normal thing. Don't be freaked out by that. Yeah. Like being freaked out by like where things happen in a crime drama show is a normal thing. It's like, <laughs> uh, I'm sure nothing bad will happen on this trip, he goes. Anyway, bad stuff's going to happen on this trip. Because he goes, but that's what I've been hoping, at least. And he's immediately, like, going to drop his ice cream because, I don't know, he doesn't know how to eat. I Yeah, I don't know what he's doing. Like, I don't know if, like, they made his ice cream with, like, a hollow middle or something like that. And it's like, oh, it's collapsing. Or if he just is, like such a rookie at everything and he's like a rookie at eating ice cream he's like Whoa! like ah where am i supposed to grab this thing from like you eat it like a normal your twin brother knows what to do uh, maybe he was trying to eat it from the bottom up and then it was me like no the the pretty stuff's falling off so they get kind of lost uh, and then they come across Ohira Manor, a hotel. And uh, I think the implication is that they went to the wrong inn because they got lost. Because Sakon's like looking at stuff like, I guess you can't always trust the internet. Uh, it's Ohira Manor, which Ukon is like, well, that name rings a bell. And then a mystery figure approaches and goes, the Ohira case. <laughs> it just starts monologuing. Uh, he explains that 10 years ago, there was a grisly incident, not a grisly incident, a grisly incident with a bear. 
Uh, and he says, why, even now, the is scent it, of blood still lingers in the air. Is it you not know. supposed to be a grizzly? It's, it's grizzly? G-R-I-S-L-Y is how you oh, say grizzly no, I've been spelling it wrong for a while now. Uh-oh. So, yeah. Um. Anyway, so that happens. The guy looks like he's got blood coming from his brow, but his brow is hidden behind his long hair. Uh, and so I was like, are you okay? And then we get introduced by Sakon in the margins of the page. Well, that's just a reminder to, I think they've been doing it so far that Sakon and Aoi are always introduced in like the sidebar, kind of like the old way jump chapters used to like, I'm just, just kind of a weird part in the chapter to do it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, no, there's a whole. I, there's a whole thing. There's a thing about Winter Sonota. No, oh, maybe it's uh, not. Uh. I've just been compl- I've just been missing these. I guess for the entire freaking. <laughs> I haven't been reading them because I just assumed they were introductions to the characters or like reminders of them. Yeah. Eh, all right. So he's like, "Oh no, I'm fine. I took a spill off a cliff. That's all. He's fine." But uh, he introduced himself as Ataru Kagami, a novelist, uh, and. Ms. Aoi looks at him for a second and goes, have we met somewhere? And he looks down at her and kind of grins for a second and is like, oh, are you hitting on me? So clearly kind of like deflecting, but she's like, what? what?" But then, but he's trying to like flirt with her. So she's like, well, okay, if you insist, tell me about your priors because that's the only way she can relate to people and he's like well i mean i've never committed a crime oh not not interested in you nope it's it's a little bit of a funny joke of like oh tell me about your priors everyone's like don't you mean pastimes she's like no i want i want to know i do not (laughs) i want to know every fucking illegal thing you've ever done please and where did you hide the bodies tell me slowly (laughs) i dug a hole. <laughs> so they get inside the manor. Um, Sakan takes dumbbells with him on vacation. His brother takes 20 kilos of sugar. Yeah, sugar. It's fine. The uh, guy working the front desk stares at them weird for a second. And uh, then we cut to uh, later that day where they're having dinner together, all four of them. And uh, all the guys are just weird. So Ms. Aoi is like, oh, this food is yummy. But, like, none of them are eating the same thing as her. Or I think I think that the author is, but he's just, like, kind of... It just says he's awkward, which he had no trouble talking with her before, so I don't know why he does now. But, uh, meanwhile, the brothers are, like, one's working out, and the other's just like, I've got candy. So, Yeah. Ms. Iowi says that the gentleman working the front desks may have made it. He seems to be the only staff here. Novelist boy is like, well, this place doesn't get many guests with it being out here in the mid- in the sticks and the scene of a grisly crime. There was a bear here, guys! A maybe, bear! maybe that's the twist that we haven't expected. The real murderer was a bear who uh, cut off a hand. It's he's like it's a dramatic bear. Like, it's going to be one of those Scooby-Doo things. Like, let's see who the killer really is. Just a bear. 
just claws off her face. They're like, I, so it turns out you can't fight poison against bears. <laughs> that, bear, <laughs> that, that bear, that bear really didn't care that she was kind of stalking him. Bears just get freaked out when that happens and they just kill you. <laughs> The rest of the series becomes the bear solving mysteries. All the bear, all the bears haunt, like just tracking down people, like, like hiding in their closet, like little furry feet hanging out at the bottom. Like, is there a bear in my closet? I C the exact same, except Miss Aoi doesn't talk and is a bear. Like, <laughs> it'd be so much better. <laughs> Like it goes dressed up in a Lolita dress. Oh! (laughs) Like the the first chapter where it was like the faceless version of her, but it still has the big bear body. So you're like, you don't really need to show me the face. This six foot tall bear is terrifying enough. I I assure you. It's given given the explanation to Sakon, like p- telling him riddles, trying to get him to solve the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the Uber driver's like, ah, "Get this bear out of my car!" Sakon's like, "Ms. Barely is not a tool for people to use. <laughs> She's a living creature with feelings." Oh! <laughs> it's, it's the bear in the car being like, oh, "How would you capture someone on the way home?" And Sakon's like, "I don't know. I'm really got to think." And as the car drives away, you just see her turn and start mauling the truck. <laughs> Oh, oh, I can't wait to get you back home. <laughs> why is why is no one trying to help Miss Owie? Because she's a fucking bear and she will attack you. She does not care. We never because she's a bear, bro. We made a horrible mistake deputizing her, and now we can't take her off the forest. No, everyone's too afraid to take her badge away. Uh, so Gon's like, I don't believe this. I'll protect her from danger. <laughs> he gets mauled a little bit every time he goes to save her. Just a little bit. Every time he's a little boomerang, he's like, don't worry, Miss Owie. Ah, ah, I'm here to save you. Till every, like, every song, he's just like, uh, I think... She's got it. There's only a couple dudes with chainsaws. I guess I had to step in. <laughs> oh no, they've got hunting rifles. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Alright. We get a full explanation finally of the scene of the grisly crime. Uh, and so he says, yeah, so ten years ago there was a rash of disappearances. Thirteen missing persons in total, all found on a cliff located on the grounds of O'Hira Manor. Rumor has it that every last one of them was missing their right hand. The old man, the owner, his name's Kenzo O'Hira, and he was suspected. His wife was one of the victims, but they could never find any evidence. And that, my friends, is the O'Hira case. The perfect inspiration for my next novel. The case of the 13 unsolved crimes where all the bodies were dumped in a freaking pile over there and somehow they had no forensic evidence because they were disposed of so neatly and cleanly anyway so then he's like oh sorry Ms. I, I uh, shouldn't have brought that subject in front of a lady uh, but she's like oh yeah no 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 I was just thinking about how I would give my love to the offender and uh, the novelist gets freaked out by this a little bit but he's like Ooh, wow you were really interesting you could be the protagonist for my next book. Perfect. And he like 
takes out a magic marker and he scribbles down Reese. Oh, he loves crime. Cool. Uh, writes it down on his left forearm. Then he starts asking about, you know, what the three of them do for their jobs. They start telling about how they work at the police agency together and stuff. He's like, oh, wow, this is also interesting. I'd love to pick your brains. Uh, Can I, you know, talk to you like the beginning of next month? But at that moment, uh, there is a bustle outside as Ohira suddenly screams, why are you outside? Stop! (laughs) And everyone's like, oh, what's that? And then the door opens and Ohira stumbles through the door. No, he's not. He doesn't stumble through. He's he's dead outside. <laughs> he's dead. A bald man, sta- a very tall bald man standing in the doorway with a freaking hacksaw in his hand and the right side of his shirts uh, stained with blood. And he's holding the owner's right hand that he's just chopped off. And so the novice is like, the O'Hara case, he's the... And uh, at that, but before anything else can happen, the murderer steps forward and swings the the hacksaw towards Mizaoi's neck. So, uh, so uh, hey, we got the new case. Um, I do like how very quickly we've already gone to like this is a serialized series, um, and we want to do different locations because it's boring to just do hey we're in a city a case happened stuff so we had to find reasons for that crimes happen like outside of the general area so it's like it'd be like oh we went to a notes uh to a, an inn it's a haunted inn with a grisly yeah. murder we're gonna solve it <laughs> but like we didn't know we just stumbled upon it it's very like phoenix right like we're going to the amusement park what a fun day oh no someone was killed at the amusement park in a completely unexpected way I get the impression that Kagami, I don't know if he's supposed to just be the criminal in this case. I actually wonder if he's going to be like a recurring character um, that, you know, shows up because he he has kind of some of the same interest as Mitsuyoi, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that, you know, you could use to involve him in future case in future cases and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, he could just be like behind this somehow. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my thought process would assume that he is just because it's a very unique design. I don't know if like this is supposed to be a, a red herring or a copycat or something like that. I mean, it could be exactly as you said. Maybe this is just a reoccurring character or something like that. But we'll find out probably next week. Probably. Uh, the pace that this yes. uh, series likes to do uh, these cases. All right. We have chapter 32 of Maguchan God of Destruction. Fearsome, dark, hot pot hell. The uh, five gods have uh, gathered at night to eat hot pot because you see... It started half a day ago when Nabutuku heard about Hot Pot from uh, from Ru. Before that, there is a really adorable little bit where Nabutuku is at the market and he's pushing a shopping cart around. He's uh, the best. But he sees, yeah, it's just because he's just so small. He's got to like push it around by like below the cart and stuff. And he's like, "Oh, a Chinese cabbage is going for ninety nine yen a head," but I don't really know how to cook it. And when Ru comes across him, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a great dish you can make called Hot Pot. Uh, 
And uh, so you can just, you know, put these kind of things in it and you put it on the hot range stove. And, you know, when you have multiple people that eat from it together, it makes it even more tasty. And she even gives them the recipe. So Nabutico's like, yay, I'm one step close to being a master chef. Hot pot, hot pot, hot pot. And uh, he runs into Uneris and Magu uh, on his way back. And uh, he's like, what are you doing here? And Uneris is like, oh, we were out on a date. And Magu's like, she was sharing information with me. I do like uh, that they are both wearing masks, you know? Yes. They're, they're, they're trying to help with everything the same way everybody else is. So good for them. I also like the God of Destruction still wears a motherfucking mask. Yeah. I like that Magu has sunglasses for his one eye. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so since they've already heard him talking about pot pots, and there's like, ooh, are you familiar with Dark Hot Pot? And uh, she gets the guys interested. And of course, they ended up getting uh, Zonzege and uh, the adamantine together gula gula together to uh eat some hot pot together uh gula makes a mesh ladle with his adamantine ability because he's super helpful and uh then uh zonzage uh by being miserable uh they are able to use the water from his bowl to rinse off the scum anyway so (laughs) Then Uneris turns the lights out because she's like, this is the part, this is the real pleasure of dark hot pot. Uh, And so they aren't really able to see what they're going to pull out from the hot pot in order to eat. Uh, uh, And also they don't see the ingredients that each of them are adding into it. So they put it in and then Nabudu is like, all right, it's finished cooking. Time to dig in. And he takes some stuff out of the hot pot. He's like, what is this? It's big and chewy. And And he's just got an entire pack of nacho in his mouth. Because that's what Magu put in, just an entire pack of it. And he's like, how dare you steal my nachos? <laughs> so <laughs> Magu's a bit too freaked out by, a bit too into Nato. Um, then uh, Neris is like, oh yes, well, you know, this is what I was talking about. This is the dark hot pot at its best, an exciting dish where you never know what you're in for. And all the other gods are like, oh, is that so? And I do really li- like the detail that because each of them have such simple bodies, when the lights are out, you can tell exactly which of them is which just from a little bit of their face. You see Magu's eye and Naputiku's mouth and stuff like that. So it's a nice little touch. Um, then Daenerys is like, oh, and I put in some fun magical ingredients. I wonder what will happen when you eat that. Or I was like, everyone hates you, Daenerys. Everyone hates you. So they start eating some stuff. Magu uh, uh, eats first, and he's like, mmm, crimson toe spawned from chaos. Uh, Unisuke Zonzage uh, is, is like, I'm too cowardly to refuse to eat, so okay. And he gets the vegetables, and it's very normal. Gula uh, goes, and as well as Putugu, and they're all eating and stuff. Uneris, like, takes her bowl into the shadows to eat. And people are like, what the fuck were those sounds? Which is kind of weird. And uh, as Gula is eating, Unera says, hey, let's chat about the thing that broke your seal. Because as I understand it, you apparently came to this town to challenge the God of Destruction, Magu-chan. But how did you know the Magu-chan would be here? And Gula's like, I don't understand complicated things. I woke up 
A weird person told me there's some guy here with a title, and if I beat him, I get a rank. So I came. I was like, all right, well, okay then. It's fair enough. It's pretty much straight to the point. I like it. Magu uh, muses as he's stirring through the hot pies, like, well, I don't know their goals, but the fact that they broke Zonzege and Gular seals and caused that strange blizzard means that they are after me. I didn't know. I didn't realize the blizzard was supposed to be a part of that. Uh, Maybe it's just Magu drawing a false conclusion. It's probably somebody saying it was weird and like a freak thing, and I just don't remember it. I feel like Mm. he wouldn't have brought that up. It'd be weird if Magu was like, oh, I hate that blizzard that I defeated. <laughs> I hold a grudge against it. Which, don't get me wrong, after this, um, after this, like, past couple months, I hate snow so monumentally <laughs> that I would understand the nature, too, of also just being like, curse you, snow! Yep. Uh, Uneris says that she takes responsibility because I didn't mean to make light of that kid's powers. And Nobutka's like, who are you guys talking about? And Uneris says, the moment I gave the sealing crystals to the Order of Holy Knights, they were immediately sealed away. And Nobutka's like, why? The primary reason is because I personally despise them. And Nobutka's like, who are you talking about? <laughs> He's so lost. Poor, poor Naputaku. Anyway, now she's like, and now one more thing. Aside from the person who broke your seal, Gula, and then suddenly Gula starts like growing. So, uh, and Naputaku starts growing too. They turn the lights on, and uh, they got swole. They both got swole because of yeah. the magical ingredient that Uneris put in, in the uh, freaking hot pot. Durr. Uh Naputaku is like, I can beat anyone! And then Gula is like, what'd you say? And they start brawling in the middle of the room. Zonzage is like, oh, I'll use my despair ability to calm down, guys. And he gets knocked away immediately. Magu's like, well, now that the lights are on, I can finally retrieve my Nato. <laughs> he just wants the Nato. And then he gets hit by Zonzage when he was sent flying. The hot pot goes spilling over the, the edge of the table and spills on the ground. Magu gets really pissed off. He shoots his eye beams and the entire room has been wrecked as a result of all this fighting. Everyone's collapsed when Ruru comes in after class and uh, she scolds all of them by tying them up with her, you know, shame sign and stuff and is like, clean up this place before everyone gets here. And we get one panel that just says they worked to clean up the broken club room. It's also is... worth noting that uh, because Zonzuke has no limbs, he does nothing. And Maku nope. is just eating natto. He is just yep. eating natto off the floor. So there we go. <laughs> I did find this amusing. It feels like a lot of time when um, like comedy series try to deal with the fact that they have to have some kind of overarching plot. It's like joke, 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 serious thing at the end. Uh, whereas this one was like serious thing at the beginning. And then it was just joke, 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 joke. So like we know the plot is moving. Characters are addressing these certain things. We do get like the slight little tease of like Gula doesn't really know who asked him to do all this. Just knows that someone did. Uh, but I just kind of appreciated like the the script being flipped a little bit. That there was no like dramatic cliffhanger to kind of end the chapter on, or even near the end of the chapter. It's just straight up, just like I don't know. They try to make a dark hot pot, but they're all idiots, so it ends up getting destroyed. And the classroom gets blown up. Yeah, I didn't much care for this, honestly. Okay. I don't know. I just. <sighs> 
especially like because it ends on that particular note of just like and then they all work to clean up the room together it was like okay i guess that's an ending yeah, i guess it's good to know the club room did get cleaned up after they were done but all right yeah okay okay nine dragons ball paradise chapter two first encounter so we pick up in, right where the last chapter left off Azu had been rejected by the baseball team he tried out for. Ryudo decided to turn down their acceptance, and he wants to form the best team ever with Azu because they get along with each other so well. So I was like, I mean, come on. Like, I mean, okay, who are you and where did you come from? And we get this very sweet little uh, backstory from Ryudo where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm just some kid. I was raised in the sticks in an orphanage, and there was really nothing out there. And all the kids there were smaller than me. Uh, and then we see that, you know, there was like a baseball mitt and a ball uh, at the orphanage. Uh, all the girls were like playing together. No one was playing with Ryudo. And so he's like, yeah, for a long time, the only playmate I had was a wall. And we just see him throwing the ball against the wall and catching it from different angles and throwing the ball against the wall and catching it. And uh, then the TV has the Koshian on or a qualifier for the Koshian on. And Ryudo sees this and he sees the team celebrating together after they've qualified and achieved this green dream together. And uh, he imagines himself in that position, being on the field with all of his teammates around him, working together towards a common goal. And he says, it's been my dream my entire life to create an amazing team with the, an awesome cleanup hitter who can blast the ball to the moon, an awesome defensive tandem with the shortstop, second base, outfielders, and catching my pitches. An unparalleled baseball savant who will lead us to victory. A catcher with a brilliant mind. And after we struck out Kunoshiro together and your strategy led us to victory, I could feel it. You're my dream catcher, Azu. I ship them, Chris. I ship them. <laughs> they're, they're a dream pair. Come on. They are. Well, it's good. Last chapter really showed us who Azu was, and then this chapter really goes to show us who Tao is. So it's a really good combo. Yeah, yeah. and they're very different, but they've got they're united within this dream for you know slightly different reasons. They want to belong on a team that does well together. So, so Azu starts to object to this, but at that moment they spy that uh, the little leaguers have kind of hit the ball out of their field and so you know Rito's kind of like watching them with a little smile on his face and when it says can you toss our ball back and uh Rio's like hey well sure and he picks the ball up and he's and he starts to answer Oz's question of why he turned down Hakuo throws the ball all the way from you know outside of the field all the way to the catcher who catches the ball after it screams in towards him and all the kids are like oh uh. <laughs> And uh, he just explains, as he recalls, back to what the manager said about we're just looking for soldiers and our analysts will do all the thinking. He says, I'd feel suffocated playing for Hakuo. At the end of the day, baseball's got to be fun. And when you were sending me signals, I could feel you pulling out my ability. When we put your strategy into action, I could feel us turning the tables. I want to play baseball with you. And one day I'm going to create my dream team, a powerful team. And we're going to beat Hakuo and we're going to be champions. And when we do, I want you to be the one catching my pitches. And Azu blushes. Ooh. Because <laughs> Ryudo 
might as well just fucking propose to him in yes. sports manga terms. Like. <laughs> Essentially. So Azu says, I'm not good, though. Why do you want me? And Rita's like, I don't know. <laughs> but he says, when I heard what you said before they announced the results, I'm glad that I fell in love with baseball. I think my intuition's right. It's too bad that Hakua rejected you, but if that's how it is, let's get me even higher. We'll go to the same high school, we'll form a team that's funner and stronger than Hakuo, and you and I are going to make that team together. What do you say? And so Ozzy starts to get up. He thinks, okay, well, obviously, I want to play that kind of baseball with this guy. But I can't agree to that. Yes. <laughs> Freaking Azu is going to have like a moment, a chapter where the rug gets pulled out from under you. You're going to think it goes one way. He's like, nope. (laughs) So he says, your dream sounds exciting. And I do want that, but it's the end of September and the best players have already gone to like the schools that they've chosen. We can't gather anymore. And how are we going to get into the same high school? And there's our commute to consider and our academic records. There's all sorts of stuff. How do we find a high school that we can both get into? I don't know how we're going to do that. So, I mean, look, you were chosen to be part of that team. So I can't take that away from you for my sake. I don't want you to waste your talent. If you play for Hakuo, you'll be a star at Koshin. I don't want someone like that to rot away in the shadows. Go back to Hakuo. It's not too late for you. And Rito's like, so Azu says, look, I appreciate your offer, but go for your own good. I'm begging you. And at that moment, <laughs> the best character in the series shows up, Nick. I. <laughs> it took me a couple pages. But I do really like her. <laughs> a freaking box like Solid Snake's box. But with like a really obvious face cut in, cut out of it, pops out of the ground, and this girl says, "Hold on, right there," and she starts creepily feeling up Azu. But I was like, "I know what this is doing. This is exactly like the 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 Kuroko manager does. So it's not creepy at all." Yeah. So she's like, oh, yeah, you're small, but you've got decent delts and you've got solid muscles all over. She's like putting him in like wrestling holes to feel up all of his muscles. And she's like, oh, yeah, you pass. And now she's like, what is happening? And Rio's like, are you going to touch me, too? And she says, no, 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 I, 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 I know your physical fitness. She's like, I can tell you're a fucking hunk from here, boy. You're great. No, you're fine. Yeah. yeah. So she says. Yeah, I was watching the Hakuo trial, and we see her box was just there inside the stadium. Also, like, in my mind, I was like, I guess a box could have holes like that. But in my mind, she definitely punched those holes to give the box a little, like, neutral face. Have you ever seen the the wrong trousers, the uh, Wallace and Gromit uh, cartoon? There's a bit where Gromit is spying on a penguin thief. It's a long story. Uh, And he punches holes out to spy through a cardboard box through. And it looks like the penguin spotted him. But then he just moves on. And then it pans out and it shows that he's hidden inside a a box of dog food that has eyes right where he punched the holes out. (laughs) Anyway, she's very impressed with both Ryudo and Azu. She rattles off how effective they are at different skills 
And she refers to Azu as being like the legendary Furuta, famous Japanese catcher. And Azu's like, I mean, I'm nearsighted. That's where I wear glasses. <laughs> so she says, you two are a golden battery. And she takes out her business card because, of course, she has a business card, introducing herself as Karin Kurotaki, the head of the baseball team of Kokoryuzan High School. And she is the granddaughter of Kokoryuzan High's chairman of the board, a first year at the school. And she's also got a drawing of herself with hitting a baseball bat because, you know, why not? Yeah. Well, uh, they have a great catchphrase. More home runs tomorrow. Whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> so Azu's attention is caught by the name Kokoryuzan, although we don't know. We don't learn why just yet. But she says, yeah, I was spying on you before. So I heard your whole conversation about creating a dream team and I love it. So how about making that dream come true at Kokoryuzan High? No entrance exam full tuition scholarships as special recruits for our baseball team. So it seems that this uh, golden batter has a chance to play together. Who could have thought, seen that coming? But you know, I do really like Karin's. <laughs> it's just like a great introduction where she just shows up with all of this energy after our heroes are kind of like in this pretty intense and kind of like sad conversation where it's like, Hey, let's make this dream team together. I quit that kind of baseball because Honestly, it felt kind of soulless, and I just want to have fun with you. And you know, I was like being like, "No, it will constantly be a reminder that you know you have the talent to be a world famous player, and you you wasted it just to play with me. I I can't do that. I'm analytical, so I'm going to list all the reasons why this won't work. And then she just shows it to be like, "Shut up, idiots! You can play at my school." <laughs> and it's like, "Here's my business card. <laughs> yeah, I snuck into your high your high school track track tryouts." Don't make it weird. <laughs> I was like, I just like the energy to it. So, I mean, I'm very curious to see what this leads to, like what the school's actually like and everything. But I think it's like a fun way to introduce this character. And I also kind I mean, obviously time will tell, but I kind of appreciate that, like the female manager character has this much energy and character to immediately because usually they're just like the mom of the group. I'm here to yeah. write stuff down and put the practice supplies away. Good luck, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's it is very it is a nice plus to a sports manga when you have that kind of uh, strategy support role that actually you know comes into play. So yeah, I dig her. I really like I I really liked it, uh, and I really hope that people are in general enjoying this series as much as we are so far because uh, yeah. Oh, it's great. Okay. There was another manga. Um, <laughs> what are you talking about, Nick? We love this one. Which watch? Chapter oh, three. I thought it was time to talk about Mashal. Never mind. Giant rookie. So um, the kids are going to school. They're going to the same high school. And uh, Nico is uh, freaking out over it because they get in the same. She gets in the same class with Moe, and she's like, "I wonder if a witch like me can make friends." And Moe is like, "Oh no, she's getting really worked up." They go to the entrance ceremony, and afterwards, Nico's just like, "Yay!" And she's looking around, and she's seeing some guys and girls flirting with each other. And she's like, "Oh, everyone's so adult. Everyone's all super couply and girlfriends and boyfriends." And Moe looks at her meaningfully 
And he's like, we need to talk, Nico. And she's like, oh, my God, he's got to confess to me. They go outside and she's like, what is it, Moe? And Moe's like, don't tell the class you're a witch. This is legitimately the only funny joke of the chapter. I did get a small bit of amusement that she thinks it's a confession and immediately he's like, listen, you dumb bitch. I know that you're going to fucking tell everybody you're a goddamn witch and it's my fucking goddamn duty to make sure you don't do that. So please don't tell everyone you're a goddamn witch. She starts referencing cliches from better manga than this one. uh, And he's like, don't do that. Uh, And she says, well, come on. I won't cause any trouble. And he's like, it doesn't matter if you promise me that. Watching over you is my job. So it's like, fair enough. And so they get into spat and they turn away from each other. And two girls are watching them like, love or spat kind of thing. We go inside their class. The teacher is like, I'm Yuri Makua. And I am the hot teacher of this series. I'll be your homeroom teacher. I like my... No, wait. I can't tell them that I'm a massive otaku. I should have thought of this more than two seconds ago. Probably should have thought of my introduction by now. Oh, well. Anyway, I'm a hot teacher who's an otaku. I'm going to show up in this series all the fucking time. I guarantee it. Also, all the kids in their class are weirdos of different respects. I do like that there's one guy who's like, um, I'm constantly getting flamed on Instagram. And the other guy's like, I love flaming people. That's <laughs> like, all right, I do like that joke. Um, do you love the like- one where the one guy's name means stomach ache, so he gets stomach aches a lot? No, not that okay, one. No. Okay, okay. Um, Nico is watching Moe like the entire time and he's taking notes on his classmates but he makes a mistake tries to erase it and uh, she's like oh he's forgotten his eraser and she's like I've got an eraser over here do you want it and he pouts and refuses it and instead he takes out his pencil eraser he's going to use that but as soon as he tries using it the eraser breaks so she's like oh what are you gonna do what are you gonna do i know i'll covertly cast a spell to make the little bit of eraser left on the butt of his pencil bigger and then it'll be like oh did you do that now i i uh, i love you and your magic is amazing she's such a great character. <laughs> you so love it. She, Stop lying. She's like, I'm going to embiggen the pencil eraser. She casts her spell and she fucking whiffs. Her aim is so bad. He doesn't move at the last minute. She doesn't slip because someone like backs in her. She just fucking misses where she's pointing her goddamn finger, which should be where she's looking with her eyes. Moe's hair grows really big. Instead, that happens. The teacher who is an otaku is like, oh my god, he looks like Gon Freaks. No, he doesn't. His hair's just long. It doesn't look anything like Gon's hair. What the fuck are you talking about? I always knew that all women were fake otakus. Oh, man. Because I was going to say, clearly I think he's... Joking, don't flame me. Yeah, I was going (laughs) to... Also, with the fucking lexicon, no one uses flame anymore. Uh, I assume that she meant like the Gon from the Chimera Ant arc where like he awakened and everything and his hair shot up even crazy higher or something like that. Uh-oh. But it is still like, I guess. So that happens. And Nika's like, oh, no, I missed. I better <sighs> to reverse the ambiguous spell. You must cast again on the exact same spot as before. But. I apparently need fucking contacts or something because, oops, I missed, and now his head's really big. Ah, 
what is happening now? The teacher's the only one who sees it because he's in the back of the class and she's starting to be like, oh no, I'm slipping. I'm going crazy. I've had, I've been reading too much manga and, and not getting enough sleep because I'm reading too much manga. Oh, okay. I'll hit it this time, Nico says. Oh, I missed again. I hit his arm. Well, he's got a really, really big arm now. Now people are, he's hiding his arm from everyone. We introduce himself and he's like, oh, my arm is throbbing. People are like, oh, he's got eighth grader delusions. So people are thinking he's some, you know, poser who thinks that he's got special psychic powers. And so then he like just kind of like decides to play into it so that it'll hide the fact that his arm has actually gotten big. And Nico's like, why are you acting so lame? And he's like, fucking fix my arm now. You, ah. So then Nico's like, okay, I can't miss. I can't miss this time. I'm sorry about this, Moe. And then Nico accidentally opened her hand and pointed it at herself and made herself big. And she got really big, and everyone's like, oh my god, that girl's really huge now. It's another huge girl, Chris. We gotta do another huge girl in this series. One of those kids probably says, step on me. Anyway, she says, I'm Niku Akatsuki, and I'm a witch. So her cover's blown. That's the end of the chapter! Yay, we made it to the end of the chapter! Don't do this to me, Chris. I'm begging you. Don't do this to me. I know you don't have that briefcase on screen with you right now. Don't do this to me! Nick, I would not... It would be just as painful to me to have to read this series, so there's absolutely no reason why I would do it. Um, so, we're three chapters in. Are we going to keep reading the series? No! Alright, that's just it. a bunch of bad jokes! That's it. Uh, I will also say no. I, I do not find this to be a particularly funny series. I will note, I don't like hate this series in the sense of you know comedy subjective and things like that i just you know it's just not particularly my taste so you know i don't think i'm gonna do it for it so i will say i know that comedy is subjective and i know that in particular shinohara's got a history of like because we covered skit dance back in the day and there were some jokes in that series that you thought were hilarious that i specifically brought up as like that was awful. So I have no clue whether or not people in general are going to find this series appealing. People definitely so, do find it funny. I'll just note there's definitely people in our Discord who absolutely love this series, and I totally understand that. I don't like I don't besmirch them or anything for it. So yeah. Maybe it'll stick around. Um But I have no interest in this, and uh the best thing I can say in its favor is it's not high school family. So there you go. Yeah. <sighs> Dr. Stone! Well, wait, doing? wait, hold on. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? There it is, Nick! It's been hiding behind us all along! Yes, I see that. The money! The veto in the bank! It's been here all along! Yes, I figured it was somewhere in the room with you. It was always here, and it's gonna stay here. I don't wanna. I don't, don't wanna read Rich Watch's garbage. Also, here's the thing: people in our Discord actually like it. It's not just about punishing Nick; it's about punishing everybody. So you guys can't enjoy it either. <laughs> <laughs> like I so have to I make that very. <laughs> I know I need to make this very clear. There's enough people who enjoy it that I was like, no, Rich Watch would not really work that way. I am waiting. It's going to happen. We're going to find something that's going to be awful for everybody. And we're all going to be punished. Another high school family yeah. or something like that. <laughs> oh, if I could go back in time and do it for high school family, I wouldn't a heartbeat. Because every week, there's legitimately some weeks where I'm like, I can hear myself hearing Nick get 
furious over this sale. <laughs> like, like being like, so the joke in this chapter is the dad is good at volleyball. I read that chapter, Chris. <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm, I, I want to hear those things, but I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This week's chapter was the cat's fat. Um, and his face is kind of weird sometimes. Um, also, the end of the chapter is the cat gets kidnapped, like unintentionally, like jumps into a, a truck that leaves, and then there's just a panel at the end. It's like he came back and lost all the weight. It's like okay, it's not really a joke. It's more like a, ah shit. I guess I guess I can't have the cat run away. Maybe none of this the chapters in high school family are jokes. Maybe they're just like meditations on the hidden side of human nature that lurks beneath the surface. <laughs> and we're all just a... If we all just have, like, one bad day, we won't go crazy like the Joker in The, in the Dark Knight. Like, he says, like, oh, you're, 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 you're just a... Or not, uh, not that one. That was... Uh, that's the the killing joke. So it's not like you know the killing joke. All it takes is one bad day, and then you you you'll go crazy like me. It's like, no, no. What happens? We all have one bad day, and we just become really weird pastiches of humans <laughs> that do things that someone thinks are funny, but they aren't. They're just things that are a little bit weird. Yeah, uh, it's worth noting. Um... It is not doing particularly well, so high school family may not stick around, but it is the best example I think I've ever had, and I believe you were the one who coined it, of anti-humor. I I feel like the joke is that there is no jokes, and I can't tell if that's genius or the dumbest fucking thing in existence, but regardless, it does the same thing every week, so you can enjoy it one way or the other. <sighs> Dr. Stone, Nick. Dr. Stone. Z equals 186 to each their own blade. Uh, there's a shot of uh, Ginro with a spear and a very sexy Stanley. Like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. Everyone has eyes here. We all know what we're thinking. Uh, yeah, he's got a cute little Zeno uh, charm on his dog tags. Yeah, that's, I mean, at some point it's not subtext anymore. And I think Dr. Stone just needs to come out with it. Maybe it's like a two-tier thing. So, like, if he's killed then the dog tags will identify him. But if he's just lost, they'll know who to return. Yeah. <laughs> That's adorable. They're like, sir, I think we found your son. It's <laughs> like the mall was scary and confusing. <laughs> there were no guns. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So last time, uh, leotard girl, Charlotte, Charlotte uh, was bitten by a spider so suika gave up her hiding place to go and save her life but stanley and his men have immediately spotted her and uh, they descend on her with guns uh they say freeze in english uh but suika has no idea what this means because she's not from modern times and she doesn't speak english so she runs away she doesn't know that they're telling her to give herself up or they'll shoot francois still hiding in the shadows does know this and so they say, oh, man, this is bad. Uh, they take out a paring knife from their uh, pack, make a sign signal to Suika to serpentine a little bit. Suika dashes uh, around a tree while uh, Francois makes their way around uh, the crowd uh, tracking her. And uh, Francois is like, OK, this is the only thing resembling a weapon we've got, but I don't have any combat skills. And so there's no sense in deploying the knife unless it's literally do or die. 
Suika and I would only be gunned down, in which case, the matter is in your hands, Master Matsukaze and Master Ginro. And uh, Suika is being held at gunpoint again, just as the knife is sent flying through the air. Matsukaze sees it flying up into the sky due to all of the stuff that he endured in his past life when the petrification devices were descending from the sky during their war. And so Matsukaze reacts, flips up into the air, catches the parry knife with his arm still tied behind his back, but he immediately thinks, I can't use this even to sever my bindings because of the way that my hands are tied. So, and so as he lands, he brings the parry knife down through Ginro's bonds instead. He says, I leave this to you, Lord Ginro. So, uh, Ginro is set free, and he's like, oh, oh, I'm free, oh, I can't fight against guns, but, oh, wait, maybe I can give Suika a second to get away, maybe, maybe, no, they'll shoot me, I'll die, why would you do this to me, Matsukaze? And Matsukaze is looking at him, and Ginro thinks back over, you know, all the good stuff Matsukaze was saying about his last master, and how Ginro was being a total ass and taking advantage of him. And that little twinkle of a good person inside Ginro that won't let him be a total coward in situations like this makes him lean down, pick up a big, long, thick branch and use his spear fighting abilities to start causing trouble with the guards. And he's like, all right, I'm I'm a guard. I'm a village guard. I forgot all about that during being a coward. And as he fights them, he's like, all right, I'm kind of strong after all my training. Immediately, the, the freaking bar goes to the other end. He's like, all right, I'm amazing. I'm the best. Stanley shows up and blows his his staff to bits with a machine gun. <laughs> Just immediately. <laughs> and uh, then Stanley points the gun at uh, Suika. Uh, the, the guards manage to subdue Ginro now that he doesn't have a weapon. And so Francois is left to make another decision because that uh, plan did not work. So they're like, okay, he let Master Ginro not die. He gave him a chance to give himself up. Uh, So this is a different situation that we're used to dealing with. We aren't dealing with cold-blooded murderers. They're soldiers, which means they follow the rules of engagement. So Francois steps out from their hiding spot with their hands over their head saying, we're civilians. Master Suica is a civilian doctor. She was treating that person from a spider bite for safety's sake. She's been living out here away from Master Senko and the others. And if you doubt me, you can inspect her belongings. Uh, And then Francois strikes a very formal pose and says, we are unaffiliated with the combat units. We don't int- intend to attack you. We'll do as you say. So will you still execute us knowing that? And Stanley just looks at Francois so like, nah. What you're saying is true. Good guy. Yeah. Really cool full page spread of him too. Just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the large woman grabs Suika. They're all tied up. Suika blames herself for letting things turn out this way. But Francois says, well, it's okay. We've rendered distinguished service, I would actually say. And Leonard, the communications guy who's been tracking the radar and stuff like that, reports from his post that just before they grabbed Suica and Francois, Francois sent a transmission. And Francois says, if that troubles you, you can verify the Morse code content for yourselves. We split into two teams. That's the message I sent to the U.S. base as a precaution. And uh, 
over at the petrification tower that the gang have set up. Kohaku comes in worried about Suika and Francois. Senku says that they ran into Stanley's gang. Uh, Francois willingly gave away their position to the enemy to send a message. And uh, Senku says what Francois did was actually give us the enemy's position. And so from the radio signal that was sent out, Dr. Chelsea is able to triangulate some stuff and is like, okay, seeing how long it's been since we heard from them, we know exactly where they are and where they encounter Stanley's group. So now we've found them before they actually know where we are. And that's a vital piece of information for the coming conflict as, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is a good little moment. Um, cool chapter. I like the the moment of quick thinking for Francois. Makes them look really smart. I also like the yeah. that they came up with the idea of like sending out the message so that they know where it is. And it's a cool moment for Stanley to kind of show like, hey, he does have humanity. He is not against murdering everybody, but he's like, I do follow the rules of, of warfare, essentially. I won't kill civilians. All right, Nick, let's talk about Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 51, Mash Burned Dead and the Shattered Crystal. So we open right where we left off, where Mash is like, I've never met anyone stronger than me. And uh, he's like, yeah, also the, the, the strength of, uh, definition of strength is different according to different, uh, 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 uh wait, w- uh, what is strength? <laughs> like, he just confuses <laughs> Uh, and everyone basically is just like interrupted because the announcer's like, hey, here's the next round. It's going to be a team battle. Everyone's split into teams of three. You have to protect a crystal. Um, they're like, yeah, it's it's great. They like they start the explanation and MASH immediately is like, <laughs> and they're like, no, hey, our team leader's an idiot. You have to explain it better to him. And they're like, the teams fight to break each other's crystals. And Dot's like, cool, so we just gotta smash every crystal we find. And Mash is just like, mash, smash, crystal. Mash, smash, mash crystal. crystal. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, everyone's received a crystal. So they're like, hey, each team's gonna have their own. So it's Finn, Mash, and Dot on a team. And Finn's like, all right, the fate of our exam rides in this crystal. But since the whole team needs to lose theirs, we'll be fine, even if mine. Smash! He looks over, Mash has dropped the crystal. He's like, oops. <laughs> and he's like, all right, it's fine. Dot still has it. And then you just hear another crash. <laughs> and Dot's dropped his. He's like, I really should have told you how slippery these things are. <laughs> so before everything's even started uh it's just finn finn is the only one who has a crystal still left and they're like don't worry we'll protect your crystal is so it's yours it's like all right it's okay as long as i'm with the both of them and they get teleported and like the announcer is like and just like last time we placed the examinees randomly it's finn's like why would you split us up for a team battle <laughs> so you just see and it's great because it's mash and dot they have like the little hand like curled up to the like oh shit we should probably go find him really quick and it's just been like all right just gotta protect the crystal gotta protect it and he sees uh carpaccio like attacking somebody i don't know maybe that's uh the fucking the dude from before um i forget who, who's the uh, more tomato it's not him but maybe it is uh and you know uh Finn's like, oh, gosh, I see a, a knife in his shoulder, and, you know, what's going on? He's watching from afar, and Carpaccio's like, talent isn't something that's evenly distributed. Our birth decides who can climb to the peak, and he pulls the knife out, and it seems to injure the other person instead. So it's like, oh, wow, let's see what's, you know, what is bad news. Finn's like, if he runs into me, oh, oh no, oh, I hope I, I have to conceal my appearance. I'll just pretend I'm an inanimate object. I am a wall. Stay away. I am a wall. Oh, phew. 
Thank goodness. <laughs> he is gone now, thanks to my perfect wall impersonation. And Carpaccio is right there. And he's just like, what are you doing? It's like, can't talk. I'm a wall. <laughs> and the chapter ends with Finn uh, activating a magic that summons like a, a woman, like a, almost like a nurse angel of some kind behind him. And says, you seem like fun. And so the chapter ends with MASH running, hopefully, to intervene. This is such a fun chapter. It's so it's... fun. It's the the perfect pacing of like, well, it's fine if I lose mine. Mash and Dot has theirs. It looks over Mash like, oops. And the perfect <laughs> cutaway then to, to Dot be like, well, I really, really should have told you how slippery these things are. That's like the best way that line could have been delivered. Like, you know the moment it starts, like, I know where this joke is going, but that delivery is so spot on. And then they're separated too, so it's like, oh my god, why? Why? He's making a good point. He's like, why does it matter if you're on teams if you're just gonna be separated immediately anyway? Yeah, world trigger, you big dumb idiots. I mean, it makes sense for why world trigger does it. They assume that when combat happens, you won't be in like a position where you might be around allies. But yeah. yeah. Um, also, it is worth noting that uh, Margaret and Lance are on their own yes. team. So I presume. This is the showdown with Carpaccio. Carpaccio's team will be eliminated, and then we'll have Lance and Margaret in the finale as well. Yeah, and uh, potentially the third guy on Carpaccio and Lance's team might just be eliminated due to, you know, being carved up. Yeah, exactly. All right. Ayakashi Triangle. Uh, Last time, Garaka gave his full explanation for who he was, how he was connected to Suzu's past life, etc. Matsuri is freaking out over this because he's like, Oh no! What if what if Susu remembers her memories from her past life? How can I even compete with that? And it's like, oh, teenagers. <laughs> Chapter thirty-three: A distraught Matsuri. Yeah, that's what this is about. Uh, Suzu approaches Matsuri while they're at school and is like, "Hey, after school, we should go talk to Garaku about the previous Ayakashi medium. And you know, if we do that, then maybe we'll find a way to, we'll you know, learn more, and I can you know figure out how to get my powers and all that stuff." And Matsuri's like, "Actually, I have an errand to run. Can you come with me?" And privately, he's thinking to himself. Okay, well, I mean, she's got a point that we could learn a lot from all that, but I don't want to go see that guy. So they go and see Rayo instead. Rayo has fixed up Matsuri's uh, ninja gear necklace choker thing again uh, because it keeps on getting torn off of his hot female body for reasons that I can't figure out. Can you? (laughs) So... Susie's like, okay, are you done with your errands now? She's like, no, I've got to do another thing. I know I'm a girl now, so I want to get girly clothes. Wait. (laughs) So they go to Victoria's Secret or something like that. They go to a place that has uh, a little bit of everything. Like, it's a very high-end boutique that carries every type of fashion imaginable as well as sexy underwear. Yeah. But I mean, hey, those things actually do exist, to be Maybe. fair. Um, I just enjoy it because this is the moment where uh, what, Rio, I think is her name, she just yeah. kind of affirms that lesbians and bisexual people can exist because <laughs> she's just like, yeah, I like Monster as a guy. But if it yeah. stays like this, I'm still going to I'm, I'm going to fuck the shit out of him. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, OK, there you go. And Shirogane right there with them and he's like not processing any of this clearly. So, uh, 
Suzu is observing as Matsuri and Ryo pick out some clothes because Ryo tagged along with them to the store. And Suzu says to Shirogane, you know, I've been wondering something, you know, with how close Ninokuru and Matsuri have gotten. Does the gender swap awaken Jutsu change a person's spirit too? And Shirogane, as she's like shaking him around, is like, no, it just transforms the physical body, which is kind of nice to hear him say that. And this is just her teenage paranoia, the same as Matsuri's teenage paranoia is currently going off saying this uh, because, you know, like, yeah, I mean, obviously there are certain factors in your physical body that will affect your mood and your mentality and stuff like that. But yeah, anyway, so they didn't they have that conversation you were talking about where Rayo is just like, Oh, yeah, I want to do everything that Matsuri wants to do. Uh, I do want to help him to get rid of the jutsu. But, I mean, you know, if he wants to remain a girl, then it doesn't matter to me. I'll I'll hit that. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> She's like, uh, yeah, I don't know if you see it. Girl Matsuri is pretty fucking hot, too. So, you know, I'll go with that, you know, if we need to. And Suzu tells herself, I feel the same way, but I made a promise that I'd turn him back. But in her mind's eye... Dick, dick, dick. I want that dick. Give it to me. Give it to me. It's Batista. Give me what I want. Give me what I want. She remembers what that bulge in the fundoshi looks like. It's again one of those things where it's just like, you know what? It's shameless, but I gotta give her credit. She knows what she wants. Yeah. (laughs) It's a very empowering thing that she is so relentless about it she will not be deterred no matter what information is brought up no matter what comes about she wants that dick end of story so we cut to inside the changing room and matsuri is thinking to himself like all right i i'm still not used to wearing girly clothes but this is was my idea so i guess i have to do this rayo has invaded the changing room space and it's just like your clothes smell so good and uh so she's like, I figured that you might have some trouble doing this. So in order to take the next step, I brought along another helpful invention thing. This is determination scent. It will give you the courage to take a new step forward. And Mercury smells the, the scent is like, I feel like I can wear those clothes now. Let's do this. And we get a freaking changing room montage, which is honestly kind of adorable. Uh, but I do appreciate that, like, they're like, yeah, this kind of suits him. This doesn't. This is just kind of weird. I don't really get with it, this. And at the end, Matsuri is like, comes out in magical girl attire. And Suzu's like, what is this store? <laughs> <laughs> um, they keep on going. Uh, they observe that Matsuri's gotten over his shyness. And Suzu's like, even if he's being encouraged by the incense, Matsuri was the one who wanted to change girl into girls' clothes in the first place. Could his spirit be shifting towards being a girl? No, you're just being paranoid because you want that dick and you're worried about not getting that dick. Anyway, Nino Kuro suddenly sparges into the store because he's chasing after a weak spirit. He exercises it uh, immediately. You know, uh, he and Rayo recognize each other. And Suzu's there, of course, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I came into here by chance uh, in order to defeat this thing. Matsuri barges out of the changing room at that moment, and he's like, oh, I sense the Nayakashi out here. Oh, it's you, Ninokuru. And Matsuri's like, ah, Kazumaki, you must be on guard. And he turns around, and he sees that Matsuri is in sexy underwear. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very sexy and very, very clingy. And Matsuri, suddenly the incense wears off, and is like, why am I wearing this? 
And Rayo's like, yeah, I didn't want to waste this opportunity, so I added it to the pile. So she's thirsty, too, but she just, you know, has broader preferences, so that's fine. And she says, if you don't want it, you can return it to me. I'll enjoy the smell. So did she bring this underwear with her, then? Or she's just going to purchase it. This is possible, for, si- for science. Which is creepier? Uh, definitely if she brought it from home. That that okay. becomes a lot more premeditated. <laughs> All right. Well, well, she also brought the scent thing, so that is true. So, which I, I think was so that she could enjoy a Matsuri fashion show. So. Probably, that's pretty much it. Anyway, Suzu's still worried about Matsuri turning into a girl in spirit, even though Matsuri's, you know, perverted to normal now. So, it's a chapter. It's a chapter. I like some of the fashion that was in it. You know, yeah. pretty uh, good. Kentaro Yabuki is a good artist. So. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk and wrap this up with Black Clover, page 283, a huge melee. So Asta killed the big demon and uh, whatever Geddon or whatever shows up to be like, hey, I can't do long distance teleportation without Master Nature Boy McFlair. And right now he couldn't do it anyway. So, you know, we're going to have to get you over there. And Asta detransforms. He's like, shit. That came way faster. Uh, what am I going to do? But then he goes through a portal and it's like, we just see a bunch of feet and they're like, trying to head over all by yourself is pretty cold, don't you think? And Asta smiles. We cut over, a bunch of people are getting beat up by demons. That dude who I think is supposed to be important, but I don't know if we know his name, is just like, the pride of the magic defense force is on the line! Uh, and we actually see yeah. a bunch of characters like Rades and Sally are helping, and as well as Snow from the boy band, uh, he uses his snow creation magic to create a snowman safe house. Nick, how do you feel about that? His eyes are large. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a part of a boy, real-life boy band who uh, voices a character. And, his uh, eyes are large. There you go. All right. I didn't know if you still had that uh, burning hatred of him that you did before. His snowmen look more like gingerbread men than snowmen, so he's clearly bad as a mage. All right, there we go. <laughs> that felt actually very harsh now that I hear it out loud. You're like, you failed at the one thing you were intrinsically built to do in this series. Um, I think it also helped that I was just like very dismissive <laughs> yeah. instead of angry. <laughs> Basically, they're like, all right, we'll use this magic to hide them, and then Volto spatial magic to tell it to evacuate them. And in that case, basically, yeah, and in the unlikely event that they find us, my magic will clean it up. But there's too many of them. They're in a bad situation. Uh, Fuego Leon shows up, uses Salamander to like burn a bunch of them away, but then a bunch more come out, and it's just too many. The numbers are too fast, and things are getting past them. Oh, no. It looks like everybody's going to start getting killed, but boom, there's a giant beam of light, and everyone's like, what was that powerful spell? And who should be there? But light and uh, other characters um noel that's one i care about uh i think that's charmy so that's her mimosa's yes. there i guess that yes. that matt that, that Sacre, uh leashed is there or yeah. patry patry's there leash is dead or is that yeah no leashed no patry patry's the one who's still alive leashed is dead um then i think the dancer guy from the underwater temple is there? I that, question mark. I thought that was who it was too, but I no, sure no, that's the Heart yet. Kingdom guy. That's the Heart Kingdom guy who trained them, Gaja or something like that. Okay. Uh, I don't know who the other people are. There's like three other people behind him. I have no idea who they are. Anyway, all my friends are here, 
And then about seven other characters at Black Clover. So basically, Noel showed up and Sekre. And then a bunch of other characters happened to also show up. Where the fuck is Zora? Where the hell is he? He has better have something supremely cool. Too cool for this series. He has not been in this series in like three years now. He needs to show the fuck up because I miss him. I miss him. Too cool to be in Black Clover. He really is. Yeah, this was a chapter. Yeah. There were lots of people in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really have like zero interest in this chapter just because I don't like so many of the characters that are kind of involved in that. That I'm also like, look, I understand it was important that Noel got here because she has a big fight coming up with Verica. Who the fuck was asking Leopold to show up? Did anyone give a shit? Like, we already have Fuego Leon, who is the strictly better version of you. And then we also have Marilu Yona, if I wanted a version of you that I could uh, masturbate to, I guess. I don't like... (laughs) There's also, like, Fauna and uh, uh, Magna. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, where's Magma, huh? I don't know. Who cares? That's that's really just who cares. He's, you know, doing tryouts for for nine dragons ball. <laughs> he should he should he might as well show up in that series at this point. Yeah, it's just a series. It, it's a chapter. It's fine. Yeah, it was, it was a chapter that happened. It had a lot of people in it. I am sure that there are people out there who are fans of these characters that hadn't shown up in a little while who are like, "Yay, they're here!" And uh, I don't feel that way. So yeah. yeah, that's the end of manga for this week. So everyone. We want to thank you for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. But first, let's go through our favorites of this week. Favorite series and MVP. Um, Favorite series I'm going to give... I want to give it to Mashal, but I, I'm going to give it to Nine Balls Dragon Parade. It was really, really good this week as well. Just, like, really good character motivations, a great character introduction, just solid all the way through. I am going to give mine to uh, Mashal. Okay. Uh, for favorite series, I thought it was just a, f- a, f- a fun. <laughs> it was just effectively funny, and uh, I don't think I have any complaints about it. Whereas there are a couple hang up hangups here and there that I have from most of the rest of the, of the chapters, except for Nine Dragons Ball Parade, which is also very good. Uh, but I don't like to double dip on series, and I am definitely giving my character of the week to Karin from from Nine Dragons Ball Parade. So okay, well we're just gonna be in first then because I'm gonna give my character of the week to Finn. <laughs> Like it's just a bunch of good jokes, and I got a bunch of laughs out of it, so there we go. Uh, the audience, by the way, picked My Hero Academia as their series of the week, and then Kikoru from Kaiju Number 8 as their character of the week, which I absolutely can understand. I, I considered oh, yeah. that as well. Uh, honorable mentions from me would also from, from me would also go to Francois from uh, yeah. Dr. Stone. That's so. another great one. Yeah. All right, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week. Yes. We want to thank you all for joining us for the recording of the show, which we do live on twitch.tv slash T Wednesday evening, starting around 730-ish Eastern time. But to stay updated on exactly when we're going to start recording the show, you can either follow us on Twitter, at WMR Podcast, at RoloT, at Nick F. Time, or join our Discord channel, where you can hang out with the Weekly Manga Recap community. And through that, you can find the Weekly Manga Recap Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i, which hosts all sorts of statistics associated with the podcast, including recommendations that we have taken in the past and that we're going to work on, well, in a future episode. You can also use that to join in on the Among Us games that are played every Saturday morning, weekly Among Us. Among Us. Among Us. Among Us. It's a weird... Anyway, 
uh, games get played on there. And uh, we also want to extend special thanks to Steve Mann, our tire cutter. You can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn. And to uh, Winslow Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillis for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. Yep, absolutely. That is going to do it then. And uh, all right. I don't know. Do we have a joke we want to go out on now? No, they've had too many jokes. They've had it too good for too long. And uh, like Witch Watch, we only should do like one good joke and then just end it. (laughs) Yeah, just end the chapter on page three. (laughs) That's what we should do.